Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This isn't just basketball. This is the NBA playoffs. And with William Hill Sportsbook, you can dial up the playoff intensity from the palm of your hand. Just download the William Hill mobile app and your first bet of up to $500 is risk-free using promo code RADIORF. New users only. Must be 21 years or older and present in Virginia to bet. Paid in free bets. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call, text, or chat our confidential and toll-free helpline at 1-888-532-3500. William Hill Sportsbook. Proud partner of the NBA. Let's make it interesting. My name is Dave Hanratty, and there will be no encore for the final time in 2019. It's episode 197 of the No Encore Music Podcast. It's the albums of 2019. We have 20 albums for you, fresh out of the oven. Craig Fitzpatrick is here. Hello, glad to be back. Glad um, to have you back. You're fresh out of the oven, reminding me of Boris's. We've got an oven ready deal, and I'm still in that vibe <laughs> of just, oh God, the world's falling apart. But yeah, happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas, <laughs> Dahi. How are you? Mm. I am into my second can. <laughs> That's We're in good. Dahi Towers. That's good. Uh, let's just get to it, lads. It's let's the top do it. 20 albums of the year. Uh, this was done up by, you know, independent kind of diplomatic vote. We will have a top five when we get to the fifth one. We don't know the order from then on in. And it'll be up to us to debate them. We're going to have a chat about the five records that have ended up in our top five. And we're going to see what comes out on top. It's kind of like a like, like electing a president of music. Is there any <laughs> albums that didn't that always make... goes well. <laughs> are there any records that didn't make this list that you think should have been on the list or at least are worth shouting out? I've got a couple. Go on, I was quite way, surprised Dave. that Michael Kuwanuka's album called Kuwanuka oh, yeah, really didn't good. make it in. I think it's yeah. one of the best records of the year. I think maybe just it arrived slightly later in the year. It kind of... 
I was very taken aback when I listened to it because he was he was an artist I kind of knew had a bit of kind of critical respect never really chimed with me whatsoever and then when I put it on I was like is this the same dude really arresting album I need to spend more time with it I think that's fair it is one that you need to kind of sink into I think it's terrific go check it out I would also have American Football's LP3 or their third self-titled really record that on there yeah the daddies of emo and it's very much like that on this record it's very they're much, all grown up yeah, yeah it's them getting it's older nice. and like yeah. dropping their fucking kids off at school and there's some beautiful uh, like lilting kind of melodies on there I mean like you hear emo you think fucking maybe like something a bit sharper and a bit punchier but it's not like that whatsoever it's more like Jimmy Eat World's older brother who's gone on a gap year trip or something you know <laughs> but better than that it sounds a lot better than that I enjoyed it quite a bit Dahi what you got uh, one that grew on me in the last couple of weeks has been Slow Thighs Record which uh, I'm surprised is not in this nothing this great about Britain you nothing say nothing great about Britain <laughs> very timely about? and uh, psychosty yeah, um, yeah I kind of I didn't get a chance to listen to it when it came out first and then I kind of came to it a little bit later on and I've been thoroughly enjoying it I think it's a very um, unique album and somebody who is kind of really um, out on their own in terms of uh, what they're doing which is great yeah like on that same kind of sentiment um, I mentioned a good few episodes ago now I was listening to Vanishing Twins the age of immunology and like they're a London band that has um kind of a lot of uh, European members and influences and it's like I, I think I said something really corny like it, it's like a vision for a brighter future where there's harmony across Europe and blah 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 and yeah um, I think we need that even more now so check that out uh, if you're into Stereo Lab it's that kind of vibe really really um, kind of surprise favourite of mine this year um, from the rap world Freddie Gibbs and Mad Lib they've teamed up again Bandana it's one of the hardest kind of rap albums of the year that is definitely worth checking out and also um, uh, no, I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> really strange suspense game there. Okay. All right, we got to go? Mm-hmm. Let's actually get out. Sorry. Oh, Can, for fuck's sake. <laughs> we should say that Jay Paul does not feature on this oh, yes, list. Oh, yes. That's right. Right? And we had a kind of brief debate, and I think we were, we had consensus, but... So it obviously did officially come out this year. It didn't. So Bait Ones landed, which was the album we got in 2013, essentially, with a bit of kind of tidying up and some sample clearance and bits and bobs like that. Um, of course, at the time we got in 2013, we were very excited and we thought it was him um, just releasing it to the world on Bandcamp, um, maybe going against XL. Um, but as it turned out, no, he was just robbed. Um, it's a horrendous story. And when he kind of made his return this year, he kind of said he'd been through... A lot of trauma with it, really, and just felt like his whole creative vision was compromised. It was a horrendous thing. Um, so he put it out officially. So it's kind of officially only released this year, but because we spent so many years loving it, it was, yeah, it's not music of this year. Really. On that it note, it wasn't fresh. It's a weird one for me because my number one album of the year, we've decided to not qualify for this list. Yeah, so I think right. Beatles Revolver, I mean, it was 66, <laughs> Dave. I know you're only catching up now. Yeah, you know, it finally <laughs> happened. So uh, we talked about on the podcast midway through the year. For those I love, self-titled record by a new artist, like a new project, by yeah. a, a man by the name of David Balf, uh, an, an Irish album that came out, underground kind of release, a bit of buzz. I first saw, I first read about it on District Magazine, then Nother Nine picked up on it and wrote a really beautiful piece. I had a couple people contact me about it, but like I was like, no, no, I'm actually all over this. Like this is, this seems like it's a real thing. And then it was just the most arresting record I heard all year. I pretty much knew from that first listen it was going to be like at the top, if not the top. Um, and an exceptional piece of work. The reason why it's not in this list and not on my list is because at a certain point, after a couple of months of it being out in the world, 
it vanished from the internet. It was taken down. And ultimately, I mean, I can't really be like, this is my number one record of the year when I can't physically share it with anybody. Uh, it's a strange one because ultimately, like, it did come out. It, yeah. it had a life. People reviewed it and talked about it. It's like a reverse J. Paul. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, like, it's it, like I've gone back and forth in this one. And I put it out on Twitter and I was like, uh, people were like, no, no, you absolutely can count it. But it just feels really, really strange to me to do that. And also, like, not to get too much into things, but I've had the good fortune of becoming good friends with David Belf uh, in kind of recent months. He's a fucking absolute sweetheart of a human being. And, like... I don't know what the future holds for him and his music. Uh, I don't really have a lot of information on that, and it's certainly not my place to say. All I will say is that he has taken the music down from the internet, and I respect his decision to do that. It is my hope that the record comes back in some form, and if it does, I think it should be met on its terms then, but I don't know if it will. And ultimately, it's it's up to him to do what he wants with it. But at the moment, it isn't available. And because it isn't available, I made the very tough decision to just strike it out of the list entirely because it just feels weird to champion something that hard. If it was like my number fucking 18 or something, it might not be as big of a deal. But because it legitimately was the best record I heard all year, I had to make that tough decision. And there we go. It's not in my list. It's not in the list. It doesn't count. Yeah, probably would have been top 20 for me as well. I actually, <laughs> although I mustn't be listening to it that much because I went to go back and listen to it. I was like, oh no, it's gone. Dave, where is it? Um, <laughs> what have you so, done? Yeah, yeah um, but uh, tremendous work. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky thing. I mean, you, like, you don't want to get too much into the fucking nitty gritty of it, but it's just a weird thing. And if it does return at some point in the future, we'll look at it then and hopefully it will. So there's one other album that does not make our list and was not qualified because it would be a weird thing to do. And that is, of course, Dahi's oh, record. Tremendous work much. as well. Number Pretty one with a bullet. As we know, Dahi released an album this year called Loss. And he was the first person that we said, you cannot put this in your list, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to game as the much system. As he tried. Yeah. <laughs> I just think it'd be like, I've said before that I think it's a fabulous album. I think it's legitimately brilliant. It's but brilliant at the same time, I have an inherent bias that cannot be overlooked, as do all of us at this table, Dahi especially. And essentially, it's that thing of like it would just be ridiculous if we pretended that like if we tried to like isolate you as an individual artist that we didn't know I wouldn't um, feel comfortable with it either it's, it would, it, it, it like we're too weird. close it, like we're literally just too close yeah. and, and, and in the interest of complete fairness yeah and I think it's one thing if we were just doing it like, would be in my list otherwise I was going to say it was, ah, it'd be one thing you. if we were just doing like print lists or whatever but kind of I mean the lists almost just function as a way for us to get talking and having fun and lending some value to stuff so if it's a weird one for us to talk about, it's not really of any use to us in the context of this that's episode. True. Yeah, absolutely. I mean? yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and that's why we're going to kick off the top 20 with one of our mates. <laughs> <laughs> At number 20, it's Tandem Felix and Rom-Com. When I started to That was Oil Money from Rom-Com by Tandem Felix, led by David Tapley. I didn't like this one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Frequent guest of the show, former roving reporter and friend. And I think that that kind of should be stated for the record. This guy is a friend of ours. However, this album is here. enough from the show. (laughs) This album is here on Merit. It's a fucking great record. It's the debut Tandem Felix record that we're waiting for for so long. Uh, Incredible Americana wanderings. Uh, Tapley's lyrics are extremely deft. Uh, He's a great, great writer. And the songs in this one, in particular when it 
it kind of came out in October, shortly after your record, Dahi. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is just the perfect record for a wistful autumnal morning. It really, really fit the tone of where it landed for me. Do you know, it's it's super sophisticated in the writing. Um, it goes down easy. It's got not one, but two songs called Mother Teresa the Butcher of Albania, mm-hmm. <laughs> part one and two, which is brilliant. Um, and I think playing wise as well, it's just kind of sumptuous. Like that alt country vibe, he just absolutely, like the band nail it. Um, and he creates a real world, right? He's like yeah. such an engaging personality musically. I mean, in person, he's grand. Um, he can do a raise <laughs> in his game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, these songs feel so vivid, um, full of personality and narrative. And yeah, it was one of those ones where I liked the band, seen them live. I knew they were of a certain quality. I first play true of this. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. This is something special. Yeah, I mean, like you talk about that world building thing, and yeah. for me, that it, it's like a really fantastic album that really pins down like a character. Mm. You really feel like you know this person after the record, and yeah. that's the thing that that kind of blew me away the most. I mean, it has all of the stuff that you're talking about, that real Americana thing, but I think it has elements that like nothing else has, and the way it's delivered is really really special it was one of my most listened to records of the year by a million miles it's great at number 19 Yeah, um, Purple Mountains, um, the you know the self-titled debut album, and sadly the last album. That's David Berman's new band, um, David Berman, who sadly passed away in August. This arrived in May. It was the big comeback, and everyone was so delighted after I think it was ten years since his band Silver Juice had released stuff. Um, very complicated character, one of the best lyricists of his generation, one of the best songwriters, a kind of all-timer. Um, just such a genius word smith um and he had really found a great new sound on this this might actually be his most accomplished work just because he'd he'd started working with um the band woods um so a younger generation to him who were just deferential enough to know what his songs needed and kind of get out of his way um and there's a kind of slickness in the best possible way to these songs that he didn't have in the past and it was um yeah i, I guess a wonderful exit creatively and such a sad passing and a big loss to music um but just yeah tremendous tremendous writing unavoidable i'm sure but how much of a complexion change is there yeah that's a good question yeah that's really interesting because we've had some big albums in recent years from artists that passed away quite quickly afterwards and you know when you think about the bowie black star album it almost felt part part of the story he knew he was going and it was the way he wanted to go out and kind of the fresh light that was shed after his passing kind of elevated the album. Same with Leonard Cohen. We got his uh, posthumous album as well, which actually I, I forgot to mention um, earlier on when we were kind of trying to stuff that didn't quite make the list. Um, thanks for the dance. And they, they're they kind of older guys that are accepting where they're going. They're kind of um, meditating on their mortality and finding some resolution through their creativity and the stuff they've loved to do all through their life. On this it took a long time for me to go back to this record because the highlights for me were 
those glimpses of kind of light and hope where he was clearly going through stuff and being unvarnished and honest about his struggles but you just thought uh, he might just get through this and there was there was a lot of hope in this record and then you know when he he loses that battle sadly then you have to detach that from it so it was a tough one to go back to but now i'm fully back on board and he you know just a, a work to be proud of nicely put number 18 Elder Statesmen of themselves, of course. Yeah. It's Tool with their comeback, their first record since 2006's 10,000 Days. One is Fear Inoculum, by the way, the name of the record. <laughs> I should get that in there. It's three hours long. <laughs> it's a long record, yeah. I mean, it's a strange one because, I mean, with Tool, they're such a cult band. They're so well-respected. They're kind of unique in what they do. Everyone looks to them for a certain level of intricacy and innovation and imagination that they often scale these incredibly transcendent heights. Yeah. They're a band to get stoned to, if that's what you're into as well. <laughs> you see the fucking colours, I don't know. But Ultimately, they got some incredible, incredible music over the course of their career. I think this record suffered from taking as long as it did. Maynard James Keenan himself kind of admitted that, and he kind of was like, we could have put it out four or five years ago. I just kind of kept noodling and tweaking and doing things. And it's interesting because, I mean, like, you wonder when some of these things were recorded because like Danny Carey, the drummer who has long been one of the greats going, he's 58 years of age. I mean, I assume, wow. I assume some of these drum parts were recorded like a decade ago, but even if they weren't, I mean, the things he can do is just ridiculous. The guy's yeah. like a fucking octopus. And essentially <laughs> this record uh, exists in two forms, which is kind of strange because like there's like a, there's a version of it that has a, the digital version basically has like two interludes and a coda. And then the vinyl version, the CD version doesn't have those. And, you know, in the spirit of that, I was like, you know, I don't really like kind of fucking with albums and, you know, you kind of take what you're given. But because Tool presented two different versions of this record, I got rid of those interludes and I got rid of the coda in a playlist that I kind of made. And with this album, I mean, we talked about it on, on its release and, you know, it didn't capture everybody at this table fully. And it's not their best work. And it took a bit of a critical kicking in some corners. But at the same time, I've returned to this record more than a lot of albums this year. Yeah, There's this just is, something about it. Your most, one of your most listened to records, right? Easily, yeah. And like, which is strange because like these songs are fucking long mm. and they are meandering and it can get monotonous and the thread does get lost and they're not the strongest lyrics that they've ever had. Is it Like I say, this is far from the strongest tool work out there. And yet I found it so inviting. I found it so warm and so welcoming and easy to listen to. I found it strangely easy to listen to while working, like while writing, even though there's so much going on. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah. know what it is. There's just something about the porous nature of this thing that went through me in, in, in all the right ways. Well, I think they're a band that have always tried to capture something close to like almost meditation or something. There is something quite hypnotic about what they're trying to achieve, be it rhythm rhythmically or with the guitars. So actually, yeah, for such intricate work, it is quite nice background music like i've stuck this on quite a lot just in the office and it's like i'll kind of you know hone back in and be like oh yeah this isn't bad not on the speakers surely not on the speakers <laughs> no um you talk about there being different versions is there any like fan theories about it being like if you align it like some of their other records like if you align it in line with the fibonacci sequence and blah 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 it's actually the greatest work of all time i'm sure there are but i've gone nowhere near that yeah, right. world because <laughs> yeah, right. the surface level was, was enough for me number 17 a release that came out at the start of the year. Mm. Who needs to pray? Who needs 
Blake. It's a Zoom form. The track you heard there is Barefoot in the Park. Which I think is the standout from the record. I was nearly kind of forgetting about this. I went back to it recently enough. Yeah. And I do think it is a very solid work. Um, it's a total change in terms of tone and attitude for yeah, him. There's a lot of positivity involved in it, I think. It's his, you know, James Blake is in love album, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's very positive. I guess you need to be in the right headspace to chime with it. It doesn't quite push the boundaries and barriers of sound in ways he's done on previous works but some of the production is utterly gorgeous and I think it's got some of his best writing maybe certainly on a song like Barefoot in the Park um, Rosalia and with the sample it's just magical and there's enough of those moments I think it's a strong effort it's quite it's quite a surprising one as well because James Blake um, I find anyway has had like the tracks that he makes are absolutely incredible and they're really like gut punchy but he he has seemed to fall down slightly in full album works and that like there doesn't seem to be enough coming out of the albums whereas this one I was quite surprised about how much I liked it and definitely one of my most listened to ones I think that Barefoot in the Park track is absolutely incredible Um, yeah and it just moves really nicely and there's like a funness to it that hasn't he hasn't had before if you know what I mean yeah Um, which can veer into kind of cheesiness yeah there's like a cheesiness level at certain points and everything as well yeah for sure but um, yeah no I really really liked it I thought it was a great record fantastic it's that weird thing Uh, Mile High for me would be my kind of standout track and I do I do like the uh, Andre 3000 verse on Where's the Catch yeah Um, there's a lot of great stuff on this one I, I, I still 12 months on at this stage almost I still don't really understand this it's James Blake having a laugh. It isn't. It's still really fucking like glacial. No, he's not having a laugh, but he's he's blissfully happy. happy though. There's, yeah, there's a lot of bliss like, in this. Yeah. No, there is. I mean, to be fair, I mean, like, like the color in anything was long and brilliant, but very dour. And, yeah, you know. I mean, I'm thinking, like I have. I, I've come around on the idea of, and I've talked about it recently, and I, I, this album in terms of like even writing a bit about it there during the week. He's been extremely good at rebelling against the kind of pigeonholing that he's received in his career. Yeah. He's not someone who takes that shit lying down. He's written op-ed pieces. He wrote a thing for Penguin this year, and he basically was like, you know, it's it's way too complicated to just say my music is depressing. Like, And it's also not true. His music is challenging, but it can often be extremely warm when you get under the surface of it. It can just be tough to meet it on that level. I want more of this in the world. At the same time... I don't know. I mean, like, it's. I like the album. I think it's really good. It's in my top 20 for sure. It's also weirdly kind of disposable. I don't know. Yeah. I think this is just something that he had to get off his chest and deliver, and I think he'll now move what, on to I'm happy. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> okay, James. You know, sometimes I find I have to get that off my chest. I'm happy. And then I go back to my default setting. <laughs> Are you happy with our number 16? was Aldous Harding uh, Designer is the album and uh, yeah I'm quite happy it wouldn't be one of my top 20 I think Um, it's objectively a good work Um, she is an artist to respect quite a lot and there's some great standouts you sound like a politician (laughs) I remember us um, reviewing this and just I think you were the same as myself in terms of it. We didn't quite find that emotional connection. With I have no songs. recollection of reviewing this. I what? didn't think that we did. Like, we did, yeah. I think we did, yeah. Well, it yeah. tells you how I feel about yeah. it. Um, <laughs> I don't quite get all this hurting. I mean, 
I'm very wary and very careful to not throw her into a fucking singer-songwriter bracket, especially, you know, as a woman, because ultimately there's an awful lot of that. There's an awful lot of copycat sound-like stuff that can be really, really lazy, and I don't want to be that critic at all. I don't. I will say I find it very hard to identify her. I couldn't really pick her out of a lineup. Yeah, I find that really interesting. And I don't know what it is. I just don't really feel a lot in this music. I think, you know, it's accomplished and, you know, Craig was kind of using like the pejoratives as as am I. But I, 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 dude, I I don't, I don't feel anything. I know she played live recently and apparently it was like life changing, Mm. but I I don't know what I'm missing. Like uh, this is one of my most listened to records of the year and one of my favorites was definitely like rated pretty highly on my one. Uh, Yeah. Pretty obviously compared to to your your side, which is probably what it's doing on the list. Nature list. No, it's Um, like, you know. I mean, the thing, I think she's like a really, like a true artist. She's like truly unique. Um, She is able to deliver um, uh, several different characters that are almost at the same time kind of thing and like takes stuff in this like really really powerful way and kind of brings it up to a higher level I think um, her sense of uh, video and how how she performs live and stuff kind of adds to make this like absolutely incredible artist I think um, I think you're right not to put her in with the uh, singer songwriter crowd because I think she's so much higher than that yeah it would be reductive um, of me to do so and I, yeah, and I don't want to so. do that um, and I, I really really enjoyed this album I thought it was thought it was excellent yeah I think p- part of what makes her special is she is kind of enigmatic there's an inscrutable thing to her mm-hmm. songs I think at the time of discussing the album it felt like a puzzle that we we're trying to work out yeah. and like you know sonically one of the touchstones for me would be like Nick Drake. I just kept coming back to a lot of that sound being quite Nick Drake-ish. And you immediately then start thinking, well, it's confessional. It's kind of quite, you know, um, sensitive. And you're learning a lot about the, the raw emotion of the person. But with her, there's that kind of veil of imagery and kind of um, interesting turns of phrases and what she does visually. Yeah, yeah. She really kind of flips it on his head, which I think is, uh, you know, a, a large part of the power of her. But maybe it doesn't necessarily always click with people. But the standouts, I mean, the barrel is magnificent. Yeah. Fic, uh, Fixture Picture, which we, we just heard there, is a wondrous melody. Um, and I've liked her previous material, and I felt like this was a moment, critically, if maybe not commercially, although I, I see her name around a lot more, it felt like a big kind of step up for her just in terms of being well-regarded and established. So that was good to see. I think this is, this is a big kind of entry in her kind of canon. I think it's important when you have different voices at a table who do the same show together, even if you don't, if you've got like a staff or whatever the fuck it is. And even if you're just one person, I think I think it's important to have diversity in your lists, I, like in terms of genre and everything. And that's why Alice Harding should be here, even if Craig and I aren't as blown away as you are. I think it's important to have that kind of balance. Yeah. And it, it shouldn't just be about who's your favorite, you know? <laughs> so at number 15. <laughs> <laughs> That was Solway Firth. That was the name of the song. The album is called We Are Not Your Kind and the band are called Slipknot. Now, here's the thing. Uh, not reviewed in the show because I was away. You guys, you guys got away with it. Obviously... I loved you in the WhatsApp group just being like, are you going to review Slipknot, guys? And we we're just like... Uh, I'm still upset about it. Like, because I really wanted to hear your perspective in particular. It's yeah. no secret that I'm a huge fan of this band. Uh, big, like The inherent bias is in for sure. 
Um, it, it's not my number one album of the year. It is very high on my list, but ultimately, as a record, I think it, I think it's their best record that they have made since two thousand and four. I think it is their most coherent work in a long time. I think it's adventurous. I think it taps into everything good about Slipknot in terms of melody and production and uh, sheer force of will and aggression and managing to kind of stick to what they do, but also exploring different territory. I think it is actually quite brave. I of course had the absolute pleasure of interviewing Clan from the band over the summer, and he was saying that like you know he's gained the most and lost the most from the record in terms of what went into it. I think you can absolutely feel it as a fan. But, you know, we know that I fucking love it. You knew it was going to come up on this list at some point. Yeah, yeah. Tell me me about how you feel about it. I've given it a good few listens. um, And I was also interested to read the reaction kind of online, not so much critically, but kind of from fans and like Reddit comments and stuff. And I feel like... I feel weirdly unqualified to put this in context because a lot of what I love about this is the more experimental or adventurous moments like the weirdness at the start of what we just heard so way first was like what really captivated me and then i went online and saw all the fans being like hey, i'd lose all that bullshit at the start but the rest of the tunes look <laughs> amazing i'm like no that's what's doing it for me like tracks like my pain which is kind of there's interesting kind of synth stuff going on there's shades of light like when they mix things up i'm like oh yeah this is a band on a different level in terms of artistry from just your bog standard, what you might expect from Slipknot stuff. But I don't think that's what the large majority of the fan base, and I wouldn't include you in that, are looking for. So it's a weird balancing act they find themselves in, whatever, 20 years into their career. They're also super commercial, and like if that's yeah. your career, you're going to, everyone wants the same but different. They're so fucking super commercial that they're doing a cruise. So like, you know, make that money, Slipknot. They're I a weird think. like hinterland <laughs> band because they've had such a huge impact, but also you feel like they were never fully accepted in the metal community because, like, you know, they have the pop elements to the stuff. They've had the commercial success and they have then been playful with kind of genre hopping. This did stuff. really well critically and commercially. Like, yeah. you know, like there were even articles in like the fucking UK independent giving it five stars and I was like this is amazing I was like this is a band that were like toxic for a lot of people in the early 2000s and what a song <laughs> incredible yeah Slipknot cover toxic is just oh genius yeah but like it, it, for me it's great it's very refreshing to see them kind of have this kind of second life because that's what it feels like to me and it's backed up by a record that I think does deserve it yeah, I mean, I absolutely loved it as well. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. I, I, like, I was a massive fan of Slipknot when I was younger, so for this, this is very much a kind of like a return to form kind still of thing. Still didn't want to review it. I still <laughs> didn't want to review it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like, you know, I don't listen to this as much of this, but I think as Craig was saying, it's like the extra elements that brings it up to um, not just a metal album or something like that, you know? I think that's what makes it really powerful, you know? We'll stay in gothic terrain for our number 14. Whistle blowing. I can hear the mighty roar I can hear the horses prancing In the pastures of the Lord Oh, the train is coming And I'm standing here to see And it's bringing my baby Yeah, that was Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Kind of the Bad Seeds. I'd say mainly Nick Cave and Warren Ellis, um, but Ghosting and the track Bright Horses. And I said to you guys about that clip I just selected that maybe it might make people cry inside 20 seconds. <laughs> um, certainly the kind of, um, maybe the emotional hair for me of um, what is a very, very emotional masterpiece, sprawling masterpiece. 
I find it like daunting to go back to a lot of the times. It's I feel really like, hard listen. Yeah. And it's, it's become like, it's not really a headphones album for me anymore. Like I will put it on just like in the kind of living room and just go, okay, I'm now going to just concentrate on this and just let it wash over me because it's, yeah, it's a stunning work, but it's, um, you need to kind of commit to listening to it, right? It's exceptionally dense. Yeah. It's kind of what you come to expect at this stage of Nick Cave's career. And I say that as somebody who has always been an admirer rather than a, an, ar- an archivist or whatever the fuck, you know, it's like yeah. his work is peerless, I think. Mm-hmm. And this is in that vein. But, you know, in terms of like getting into a rhythm of listening to it, outside of doing critical analysis on it, I have found it very difficult to return to. And again, I don't even like saying that because I feel like I'm kind of doing him a disservice. Um, do you think it should be called a Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds record though? Because you were kind of hinting at that at the start there. Yeah, there's very little of a lot of the band on it. Now they do lend some kind of great harmonies and there's moments that are just kind of, I guess, critical to a lot of the songs where just the kind of subtle touches um, they bring to it really make a fly. But it does feel very much uh, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis project, right? It's that kind of sonic palette um, that's informed by their soundtrack work and has been pretty much mainstay now for the last two or three well certainly the last two records I think mm. he he's even viewing this as a the kind of the completion of a trilogy of work yeah um, and I'd nearly imagine now he might just kind of flip things on their head and go kind of grinder man or go kind of quite post-punk next album yeah um, but this was him obviously we haven't talked about the fact that it's him still dealing with the loss of his son um when John Skeleton Tree was still very raw on songs that had already been written prior to the tragedy, but the performances were so tough. Um, and this is him actually having time to reflect on it. So it's maybe trying to find some resolution there, just artistic. Well, there was a hive mind consensus that Skeleton Tree, despite those songs existing pre the death of Arthur Cave, was nonetheless about the death of Arthur Cave. Oh, because completely. it was impossible yeah, the not to tie it. Were just, yeah. And thus, this one, of course, is about the grieving process and the next steps forward. And I think in that vein, a lot of people meet it in with exceptional goodwill. Um, and you want the, you project a lot onto these tracks. You want them to kind of represent the next stage of your life and dealing and moving on and catharsis. And few people are more capable of doing that in the form of creating music than Nick Cave. I wonder if we'll ever get to a stage in his career when a record like this one and a record like Skeleton Tree can exist on their own terms fully. Yeah. I think he's been so open about sharing his life with people that it may never happen. It probably doesn't matter. His artistry remains this incredibly revered thing for good reason. And it's still fucking tough to listen to. <laughs> it really is. But yeah, and you, you don't really pluck out individual songs. Like there's not a, like hey guys <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> into your arms. That belter at number five. Kind of thing. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like which one of these you put on like hit the greatest hits in five yeah, years. I don't, yeah, you yeah. need to take this for as what piece, it is like, yeah. as a body of work. And yeah. I can see, I can see it being quite helpful to somebody who goes through something as, as horrific as that. Like, you know, yeah, because you know, skeleton tree was so raw and dark. This is kind of like, there's a soothing kind of bam feel to this. Right. Well, something Dahi has talked about quite a bit is that like artwork of a record actually being part of the the material. Yeah, and the the cover art for this one so kind of kitschy, it's a Garden of Eden or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it feels there's some there's a real kind of sweetness to it, Um, even as the name as well. You know. Yeah, um, intense. Like I thought, you know, when we were reviewing it, it's it's tough to even 
critically talk about because it seems beyond yeah. music, I guess. Beyond music. Beyond music. <laughs> and it's at number 14. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, so the next couple must be fucking yeah. unreal. Well, uh, definitely a shift. <laughs> definitely a shift in tone coming up at number 13. I'll start. Go ahead. <laughs> that was Vampire Weekend. The song is unbearably white. The album is Father of the Bride, a band that I used to love. <laughs> this is my biggest disappointment of 2019. Yeah, because when I listened to the podcast, I wasn't on the podcast for this week. I mean, the fact that this is on this list at all is quite surprising. Well, to it me, should to be, be because again, I mean, like ultimately it would be... I think it would be irresponsible of me to be like, no. And like ultimately, I know Craig when we did that review mm-hmm. even as the review was going on and you were, you were getting to the end of it you were kind of talking yourself up and I was talking myself down and then you were like I'm going to go back to this it was it was a weird week because I think we're both kind of in a weird headspace right us <laughs> strange but when we arrived in to do the episode I think they can say like we were both not entirely feeling this and 100% this is not the record of it's not going to be your mate in the bar, like, putting his arm around you and going, listen, let's get into some heavy shit and everything will be okay. This is like, this is like the fucking people at Side Road cheering you on as you finish, like, a marathon or something. Do you know what I mean? It's it, There's a kind of preppiness and a lightness to this um, that if it hits you at the wrong time, it's going to be slightly off-putting. But I stuck with it. I'm a huge Vampire Weekend fan. I thought there was enough there. I thought it had some of his best songs. Um, I definitely thought, as we you know, we talked at the time, it was missing the Rossam thing. The kind of motley crew of musicians he had in, I wasn't sure that was working. It was very patchwork. And I was talking about making a playlist of kind of rearranging stuff, doing a The Life of Pablo, which I want to do. Uh, just kind of interfering with it to make it a better, more digestible album for myself, which I did. And then I found myself listening to that playlist and other songs I'd left out creeping back in and it got to a point where the entire album had creeped back in <laughs> and then I was just listening to the album. It was my most listened to album of the year and it's oh my, my favourite album of the year. Oh, Whoa. oh my god. Oh my god. Okay, that was beautiful. <laughs> you, you, you delivered that really well. <laughs> Here's why you're wrong. <laughs> Go on. So, and then I'll tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's our dynamic. So here's the thing. Um, I mean... There are wonderful standout songs on this record. There mm-hmm. are. Unbearably White is one of them, I think. You know, closing track's amazing. Uh, we talked about Harmony Hall before. Uh, but ultimately, to me, it's just too much noodling. It's too much meandering. It's too much one man's kind of, like, uh, indulgences. You know, mm-hmm. we, I've joked about it already before with you, but, like, you know, fucking white male privilege noodling bullshit. And I don't really care about that kind of thing, but like, I, and I always thought Ezra Koenig was a bit more knowing than this. I thought he was a smarter writer than, than, than I thought he was. On this one, he just leans into this like fucking slapdash Americana. And like, you, the yeah. Heim features, the I, fucking, I like, let's put a smile on people's fucking faces with this kind of really boisterous fakeness. I, the more I listened to this record, the more it was annoying me. I, I, I find it unbearable 
unbearably obnoxious. <laughs> unbearable. Well, what I will say to you, sir, is that when you say you thought he was more annoying than this, I think he's playing like 4D chess with you and he's over-knowing you. Because lyrically... An elaborate prank of a fucking record? No, like no, no, not at all. I, I, but I think, for example, we've been huge fans of um, his lyrics and, you know, how densely packed they are and the references and how kind of clever he is. Whereas a lot of these songs seem like simple, almost like country-influenced love songs. But actually, every word kind of carries weight. It's him pairing stuff back and trying to go, okay, I'm going to go the country route be as straightforward and blatant as possible, but also layer stuff in such a way that most of these songs are deceptively simple, I think. There's a huge undercurrent of looking at the state of the world, dealing with your relationship with God and what's going on with the shift in the planet. And the songs are dressed up as simple boy meets girl kind of Americana love songs. So I think he's actually taking very... um, entrenched and kind of almost cliched American tropes and doing something completely fresh with them. I also think he is backing himself out of a cul-de-sac that the band could have been left in when Rostam left. Um, and I think a lot of context for me getting into this album is listening to his radio show he does. He does a fortnightly Apple Music thing, um, Time Crisis, where he's talked a lot about this record, but also just what he's into, which is, yes, The Grateful Dead. And he's like obsessed with The Grateful Dead and kind of very um, early 70s American rock influences and things like that, which I think Bonnie Vare has kind of um, got involved with as well recently. And what he's done is rather than, than try to update his rock band's Um, as so many rock bands do by just kind of introducing trap drums or leaning into the hip-hop influence or going the modern way. He's kind of found a third part and he's throwing back to stuff that has been out of fashion for a while and completely updating it and putting his knowing slant on it. And it's really accomplished for me. He's back to the band out of that cul-de-sac and onto a fucking highway. <laughs> but I thought, like, when a we truck s- carrying a fucking bouncing castle has smashed through the band. <laughs> some of them have gone this way, some of them have gone that way, and it is just noise. It is just people throwing colors at you. This is what happens. I disagree. When, but this I is what happens really when someone that, like has no leash and has no rain and is and is just allowed to do whatever they want. But I think it's it's actually super carefully dude, he constructed. He thinks he's a new fucking Quincy Jones because he's now like 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 because it's like because that's the father of the bride. And it's just like I'm sorry, but it's not. But again. No. The father of the bride isn't Quincy Jones. The father of the bride is God and Mother Nature. Like, it's not actually about a couple. It's about what's happening That's to worse. society. That's worse. This is like <laughs> student film level, like... No, it's... You'll have to trust me on this, but it's very sophisticated. <laughs> I will say, when, you know, seeing them live and what they've been doing and the kind of Grateful Dead influence of, like, letting these tracks loosen up a bit and introducing kind of solos and instrumentation stuff and, like, opening up, say, Sunflower, which seems whittledy and didn't really make a lot of sense to me till I heard the extended version. This was a lot more taught through than I initially thought. I think it's masterfully done, and I think it allows Vampire Weekend to have a really interesting future. It's a fucking mess. <laughs> Number, I, I think it's a masterpiece. <laughs> Number twelve. I can hear you. I'd occupy that. 
Statman Bon Iver. Yeah. They're kind of like kindred spirits, as I was saying, because Bon Iver has gone... There's a weird thing happening with a lot of, like... Um, American indie rock musicians of a certain age where they've suddenly got into like jam bands yeah. and doubled down on their American kind of... That's definitely happening with Bonnie Bear as well. Yeah, sure. it's weird because it was just so unfashionable for so many years and I think they're taking the best parts of that and doing something interesting with it. I, I when we talked about it at the time, we were... We thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't. didn't go back to it a lot at all. Yeah. I returned to it with this week and I think it is brilliant. It doesn't live long in the memory. It's weird. It feels like less of an album and more of like a, it's almost like a concert experience. It's like that jam thing. You need to just kind of sit down and let it wash over you. It's not kind of so much about the songs and the craft. It's about the playing, the jamming, how he is like, he's not constructing melodies to kind of be earwormy. He's a focal point for, you know, to inspire the kind of musicians around them. Yeah. It's yeah. this weird kind of collective, almost hippie-ish album. I think it sounds brilliant, but it doesn't have those classic songs maybe. Yeah. I mean, for me, like when I listened to it for that week, I listened to it a lot and I really enjoyed it. Uh, I was, I was probably at like a, a seven or an eight. I think I was. Mm. Um, and then like, I kind of, I, I was mainly almost comparing it against other Bonnie Bear records. If you know what I mean? It's at yeah. that high of a level. Which is tough. Um, <laughs> yeah. And like, I mean, over the year then it's kind have grown in me more and more as I've gone along. Um, I would say it's one of the more um, inspiring records for me as a as a musician as well. In that, like, I'm taking a lot of um, the kind of the the moods and the kind of the the textures of it and stuff. And I really, really, I find they really, really speak to me as a as a musician, which uh, is a very bunny rare thing to happen. You know, I think he's an extremely um, uh, inspiring person for musicians and like how he comes across against tackling stuff um, and making it less rigid if you know what I mean yeah um, and you know like I mean after a while like I mean I, I've, I've found that like when, I, when any of these songs come on when anybody plays them or anything I kind of immediately it speaks to me quite a high level you know I missed the review of this I was away at the time and I remember listening to it on the plane over and I barely listened to it more than once. I mean, essentially, I very much fell in with the Bonnie Bear thing at the time it was happening. I think the first record is tremendous. I love the second record a lot. And I think the third one is an absolute masterpiece that gave you an awful lot to work with. So, I mean, for sure, I should be welcoming and clamoring for another Bonnie Bear record. And then for whatever reason, I don't know what it is. Uh, this is a fucking dud and I, I just want it's a dud really? it's a dud yeah and I just want to say by the way that like for anyone who's like hang on a second like you just ragged on the last album you're ragging on this <laughs> album this is the best 20 albums of the year assessment is important and it, it is diverging opinions and I would rather have these records in this list they're big albums that were out this year they are critically acclaimed just because I don't necessarily go to bat for them doesn't mean that they don't belong in this list I, I, I actually I welcome this kind of a conversation so much more than the three of us just going oh my god it's so great yeah no this is really interesting because fuck that as regards this I'm just really mystified because like when it came up in the list I was like okay I guess I'm going to have to go back to this and my god it's a chore it's really? a chore yeah. think- these are wa- watered down Bonnie Vera tracks that I've heard like these are like demos they're not they're, yeah they're definitely not as song 
like they're not like song songs like you know like they're not like 22 million where you can get like real full yeah he hasn't been sat at the piano trying to work out like okay here's my fucking verse here's my chorus here's the hook they feel more of like a technical produce level with the song parts like kind of like laying over them if you know what I mean and I don't necessarily think that's a good thing I just think it's like a I mean um, I'm I'm okay with him going you know like half in half out I mean like like obviously like 22 million was so experimental in one respect and you might look at the first and second albums as having a, maybe more kind of uh, cohesive narratives on there I, I'm totally fine with, with Justin Vernon um, coming along and, and doing something incredibly conventional I, I don't know what this is supposed to be I don't know what these tracks are supposed yeah. to be like they're, they're just kind of nothing it's interesting <laughs> There's no emotion to any of this. I can't believe, you know, like, you know, like, I'm reading this, but, but like, you're saying like, it's so, it's so inspiring to you. And I'm like, that's great. I'm happy for you. <laughs> but really? But yeah, the emo- like, a lot of the emotion is in like the atmospherics and the kind of the switch ups in play. It's not so much the lines he's delivering. And it's, you know, Justin Vernon is such a clever dude. He is so good at spotting because you're talking about what he like how inspiring he is as a musician and spotting maybe future trends and where things are going yeah. and like you know he's been so influential you hear you know his previous sounds still being copied and it's like a fucking easy pass for people to get critical acclaim just do a kind of Bonnie Bear thing right <laughs> yeah absolutely um, and it's interesting Dave you hating the last record and this because I've been thinking so much that Justin Vernon and Ezra Koenig are weird kindred spirits at the moment because they're tapping into a kind of jammy kind of jazzy but also heartland rock very american strain of sound and they clearly are finding huge value in it and see it's a way forward for bands at the moment and they're kind of so either they've both just fucking fallen off a cliff or they're kind of seeing something and working it out and i kind of like they're people that i would go okay if you're looking at the way forward for the genre they might be pointing the way and i i think they're doing something special here. Well, I'll, but it's clearly not for you, which is cool. I'll push back slightly on you there, because I'll, I'll say this, right? I mean, I'm, I'm always resistant to the word hate because I'm, I'm accused of it so often, and I and I often don't agree. I don't even, <laughs> I, I I don't even hate the Vampire Weekend record, but it's certainly my biggest disappointment and the one that I took the most issue with. And I certainly don't hate II by Bonnie. Oh Bear. yeah, yeah. I just they're found, not for you. I just found it to be like shockingly empty and hollow, and I was just like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, why? why don't I like this? And I, I just really couldn't take to it whatsoever. And I, it's more that it didn't, it didn't provoke any emotion in me whatsoever. Mm. I was just like, I was baffled by how little I cared. Yeah. Especially because I was, I was on a fucking plane over like a long flight and I was like, unreal, I'll listen to this record a bunch. And then I was just like, I don't want to hear that again. And like with the, <laughs> that's maybe how I felt with the kind Halfway of through, the tool board, stuff, like, like right, yeah. where I can, it's almost like, not wallpaper, but it, like it works as I was saying, kind of for background stuff, but I just didn't vibe with it. I think wallpaper. I think wallpaper is the word. Yeah. 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 Interesting. But like, yeah, and even I'm seeing it kind of crop up on this. It's obviously on this one. It means a lot to you guys. And I'm just like, cool. So do, you, <laughs> so do you think the last record was like him almost hitting a sweep spot of it? Kind of had enough of the conventional songwriting that made his name with the experimentation of like where else was he to go from there? That was literally the culmination of what he'd been working towards. I'm having a and, weird thing with Bonnie Bear. Yeah. Uh, I'm just gonna say it, lads. Bonnie Bear is not cool anymore. <laughs> Oh my god. He's cancelled. He's not cancelled. <laughs> Number 11. <laughs> my ghost had left my seat. Bring it in. I have some years of a shimmery. Divine. Where you been? 
That was Hayden Thorpe, formerly of Wild Beasts, now of solo project fame. The album's called Diviner. Uh, Low-key release, I mean, independent enough guy. He's never, you know, Wild Beasts were a band that were absolutely brilliant. I think that's kind of undisputed, but they certainly didn't bother radio, almost by design. Mm -hmm. Called it a day in 2017. And, you know, we live in hope that someday they'll reform. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. Uh, the two front men have gone on to do different things. And I guess from Hayden Thorpe, it's, he's kind of given you what you would expect, but that is not necessarily a criticism. Yeah. Um, or maybe think, there is some criticism in there. <laughs> I think this delivered what I was uh, hoping for from uh, Hayden Thorpe. Um, you know, Tom Fleming's gone off and done his own thing, and it's a bit more slightly abrasive, a bit more playful maybe. Um, certainly didn't pack the emotional punch of this. Um, and this, like... I don't know felt like a lot of the quieter moments of Wild Beasts um, the piano led stuff but such a well crafted record um, he's such a captivating like his voice is one of the best in the business Kate Bush influences are still there which I always adored yeah. um, and it's yeah it's a really kind of complete feeling record yeah I just love how um, piano heavy it is like it, yeah. it feels so kind of fully realised as like almost like he's like okay well I'm going to make a piano album now like that's what it feels like yeah. um, and he just takes it to such a high level of production it's so interesting the whole way through um uh, one of my favorite things about the record is this idea that he's taking all these like small little pieces of um they're like real delicate moments and then bringing them up to a really really high volume yeah yeah um and it feels just really really special and i think um the way the way he the, the stuff that he chooses from a production standpoint suit his very high voice like so well like kind of everything is kind of very kind of like low and moody and like emotional um and then there's like this space on top that's just literally just assigned to where his voice is and um it just creates a very very perfect um spectrum i guess of like a massive big like uh um sound that's like really really unique i really really love it it's great yeah i mean wild beast when they kind of wrapped up that maybe their last record wasn't the best and they're trying something different with boy king when it closed with dreamliner which was much more kind of reflective sedate um piano led song that did have that kind of the lift and the subtleties of what was going on where you can also like you can hear the keys um lifting mm. falling um it feels like he'd picked up that bat on and run with it and kind of explored it over the length of an album, which is kind of what I was hoping he might do. So yeah, great. <laughs> Ain't you lucky? Yeah, it is that. It very much is the continuation and the companion piece to that kind of direction, I suppose. Uh, an album you absolutely have to commit to, but totally rewarding. And it, it, it's strange. I mean, like, like it's it was one of those ones where I, I kind of appreciated it more. I was like, yeah, th this is this is great. I, I knew it would be. Yeah. I didn't have quite the emotional impact that I would necessarily want from it, but I'm not sure I was even going and expecting that it was a pleasure to revisit it though in the last kind of few weeks in particular with this list kind of on the horizon and I think it absolutely deserves to be here number 10 Claro. The record's called Immunity. 
And Dahi saw her just a few days ago. I did, yeah. You were Fantastic. quite enamored by the projector she had. Yeah, she it had was this really crazy impressive. <laughs> I don't understand this. I don't, like, what's so, like, generally, if you have a projector and it needs to be like a really, really powerful projector, it needs to be very far back so that the projector can shoot for a very long distance and be very large. Whereas this projector is on the floor between the band members, so it's like literally like right up beside them, and then is able to make a full massive screen. Um, it's such a simple lo-fi thing that made the the show like perfectly suit what her and her album is is very like it has this like very kind of charming lo-fi like kind of vibe to it um very internet-y the show is almost more internet-y than the album yeah. because it's quite funny that like like the the album when we reviewed it i would describe it as getting a mixed review when we i seem to recall you being like it wasn't as good as you thought it would be. But yeah. now, a few months later, you're like, actually not. It has grown on me exponentially. Like, it's okay. uh, it, like in an incredible amount, like to the point where it's become one of my most listened to records this year. Um, I really, really love it now. And what, like, you know, what do you put that change down to? Um, I think, uh, I think in general, the songs as they are, are like really, really just good songs. If you know what I mean? It's, I don't think there's anything absolutely incredible happening here from a production standpoint or anything. But do you think as I did that Rostam sabotaged her? Yeah, and then we, we talked <laughs> about harsh. that where it was like, it was like, you know, I really enjoyed the low finest of something like Pretty Girl or something yeah. like that. Um, but like, I don't know, I just, like there's certain songs like North and stuff that like I just kept coming back to um, and... I think, like, I mean, we've said this before, but it, it's quite a, um, it's quite an easy listen to, you know, it's like a really easy thing to put on. Yeah. And by that, by that kind of like, it just led on to me listening to it so much um, to the point where it has now become like kind of the stamp of my 2019 where yeah. if I listen to it, I'll think of this year. Kind of it's thing, the graduation you know? of bedroom pop and ultimately, you know, with kind of bells and whistles and whether you buy into the whole fucking industry plan nepotism circular argument <laughs> that I just don't really care about. So she got that projector. <laughs> <laughs> like, fair enough. Connections. But, but ultimately, like, you know, it, the question for me is, can she carry this? And I think that she absolutely can. The like that, some bags? <laughs> yeah. Wh- why not, Craig? <laughs> I think the thing that struck me the most while listening to this record was Command and that's something I always look for particularly in solo artists it's like can you back up what you're saying do you have conviction do you have a natural presence do you come across as a 3D kind of figure can mm-hmm. I can I listen to your songs and can I can I have a, a vision of, of what it could or should look like or what, what was my own interpretation does it make the fucking cogs in my brain move and this record did um, I do think it's guilty of being not so much samey but maybe kind of not as explorative as I might like but then again you know early days establishing artist young yada yada um, definitely has nous and hooks and all that kind yeah. of good stuff but I would like some more substance next time round I, I think the songs are kind of there um, like there is hooks there is kind of good structures of stuff I think maybe yes yeah, some of the production is kind of maybe R&B leaning and polished and modern where I wanted to hear some of these songs a bit roughed up and kind of 90s and noisy and like hole or lemon heads or something like that just with a bit more kind of dynamism and stuff to kind of carry your voice um, but yeah like the, the promise and the potential is totally there but, and, but, and that, that kind of idea where if, if you wanted to go harder I mean one thing that I didn't notice from the live show was that like she has the quietest voice that has ever existed in the history of the world. Right, yeah, they yeah, basically yeah. like on stage the drummer had this huge clear white sheet 
like in front of him so that like the bleed from the drums wouldn't carry over into her vocal mic. like a perspex thing yes like yeah. m83's drummer exactly yeah, yeah. yeah except like you know like and her she had a specific mic and you could even like you could just feel that it was like turned up to the absolute max to even catch her voice you know what i mean um so like there is a there is a thing there where like if you go too hard yeah it, like she would almost get washed out so maybe she should write songs for justin vernon's voice would maybe, that yeah, work that would, out yeah yeah. How does that crowd dynamic work? Because she has a young, loud, enthusiastic. There was, there was a lot of the. the it was a 14s plus gig. Um, you were on a balcony drinking. I was on a balcony <laughs> drinking. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> so long, suckers. <laughs> that's that's all I'll say about that. Uh, but it was a lot of like screaming and stuff, and like it was very. Um, but she wasn't. Uh, she wasn't overpowered, was she? Or no? I mean, I, it seemed like she was quite used to it. I mean, I wouldn't say she um, loved it like that thing, but I think she had learned to ignore it pretty well Irish um, crowds man yeah well to be honest I think she would probably get that type of stuff all over the place like in terms of having an under 14s gig sorry under 14s 14s plus gig um, I think that kind of comes with the territory of that kind of thing um, but like I mean that audience were knew every single word like every single word and were singing every single word along with her um yeah, so, I mean, you know, her fans. And, like, there was a lot of people who had been there to a show that was, like, before this one as well, which I didn't know was on, um, which has been on, like, I think a year ago or something like that. Um, yeah, she's a really loyal fan base who... And, like, they all look like her. <laughs> They're all dressed and dye their hair and kind of have the same thing. It's just, like, there's a load of Claros in Ireland. Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> okay. So Claro. <laughs> <laughs> At number nine, it's my number one. People, to God. That man's name is Denzel Curry And mm. for me, he made the record of the year um, Really? Yeah, I mean, like, like, it's been a tough one To try and, like, narrow it down After, like, having such a like my number one as noted at the start of the show was such a fucking definitive thing of like this is this is it yeah so yeah. then it was kind of like okay well if that's mm-hmm. out what's in and I didn't have the same emotional connection to anything else this year on that level not even Slipknot uh, but Denzel Curry to me made sense and it's because I thought it was the most clear cut statement from a from an artist this year it's not his first album However, I think it is the kind of refining of an artist still at a very early stage of their career, the sense that they can do anything, accomplishing that over the course of not too many tracks, not staying, not overstaying your welcome, but each one of them being such a fucking pummeling, such as like a sonic assault. It's It's got all those like little kind of industrial touches that I'm always going to love. It feels like a live band. It feels like he's in the room with you. He's a force. This guy's a force of nature. I like what he says. I like how he says it. I like how he carries himself. I love how this thing sounds. Um, has it been a great year for hip hop? Perhaps not. Has this guy been, for me, the standard bearer in 2019? Probably. Yeah. I'm excited by this guy. I'm excited to see where he can go. And then on top of that, you've got a guy who has a personality. Like he has like so much uh, charisma, I think, about him. And I just never got bored by this one. And it was it was a great one to just fucking throw on. It flies by and the more I thought about it from a logical point of view, it's my logical number one. It, like it's not it's it's not <laughs> yeah. the fucking like 
oh man like I worship this record I, I can see why you, you might be surprised by, by this being up the top but like I felt like fuck it I'm going to champion this record because I think I think it is absolutely brilliant I mean it's not quite as good as Danny Brown's new one which didn't make it but listen <laughs> well, no listen I think who, knew, the list says it. who knew Florida was so interesting like he really <laughs> makes it sound like a kind of magical place you know yeah, yeah. Like, I, mean, I don't want to go there um, <laughs> I, like yeah he's a super talented dude uh, I always kind of end up comparing him to Vin Staples but he has this also kind of traditionalist like panache and charisma of like an ASAP Rocky if he was saying more interesting stuff yeah, 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 to yeah. me um, but like this is like he, he, he slows a different modes he can go hard in he can do the storytelling thing he can do the pure bangers thing he can even do melodic stuff and he's never like stitched all those bits together he goes through his full kind of repartee here and it doesn't like it sounds kind of helter skelter in the best way mm. it all works as a unified whole i think um he's 24 it's his fourth really record. exciting like, release yeah. like, i know yeah. ridiculous. but that's what they, like i mean i think he always considered himself as like an underground rapper you know yeah. whereas this feels very much like the the good kid man city like it's like the opening of the door to like being one of the biggest rappers in america yeah absolutely and, but, yeah. It, but it doesn't feel cynical it doesn't feel no 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 like i mean he's keeping his roots and he's keeping his style not i'm suggesting that good kid man city was because like, it wasn't but, but but i mean it's not like he just suddenly turned around and he's like i'll be on the fucking radio now no 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 it, there's almost a reluctance to do it but it's also like he's like no i'm i'm going for this yeah. now you know and I that's exciting it's i great. don't know if he's quite crossed over in the way he should have with this though I think, like yeah, I, I think, you know what I mean? This I, I think it huge. should have been bigger. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, bigger, I'm quite yeah. surprised that it wasn't. Yeah, I don't know what, I don't know what to put that down to. Um, but it's just, it's, it's the, it's the dexterity of this one. It's the pinball machine nature of it. It's the fact that every song is going in about five different places at once and yet still has a coherent thread. I mean, like, it's no surprise to look over the fucking credits and there are tons of writers on, yeah, uh, on these songs. Perfect course. But again, but that's that, more of this, please. I mean, like, like, like if, if, if you're someone who works well in, in that kind of a, I guess, structure, well then fucking awesome. Like, uh, like utilize this. Don't. Yeah. Don't be boring. Don't be one-dimensional. And I, I don't know what comes next from Denzel Curry, and that's a great thing. And that's why it's my number one album of the year. But not mm-hmm. our number one album of the year, is it? No, number nine. At number eight, perhaps the pop album of the year? I like when you get mad I guess I'm pretty glad that you're alone You said she's scared of me I mean... I don't see what she sees, but maybe it's cause I'm wearing your cologne I'm a bad guy Billy Eilish, Craig <laughs> Billy Eilish. Yeah. With the album When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? A question I can't answer um, it's puzzled man to sleep. for <laughs> centuries. To sleep. To sleep. Thought he to sleep. solved it. Um, yeah, you talk about an exciting release. I mean, she has totally dominated the year, right? In terms yeah. of a personality, she's changed the game. Um, she went from kind of cold star to world famous quite quickly um, and with good reason. This album has flaws. But it's really like it leaves an indelible mark on you. I keep going back to it. Um, There's a number of songs that are just instant classics. Production from her brother Phineas is immaculate, Mm -hmm. uh, minimalistic, just so well judged. And her writing is brilliant. I mean, they're such a good pairing. They've clearly, you know, just writing together in their parents' house and just they've done that 10,000 hours or whatever you can hear. They know their craft so well. Um, and they've just taken the world by storm. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the most important records of the decade. I would yeah, say. you really um, advocated for this. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I just think it's incredibly important because it, what it has done is, and obviously there has been loads of acts who have done this before, but n- nothing has been received as well and on this scale that does something so completely unique that it gives a license to pop music to be really fucking weird and like really go out there and like try something different. And like, if that's what this album can do, then that's like so valuable it's like mm. really really important and like you, I got really excited for the next decade now because if we're coming out of this decade with this type of thing going like okay well this is what's going to be successful then everybody should be encouraged to do super strange stuff and to like keep it more and more different you know um, I think it's such an important record is and it, like you know is it that strange like is it that strange I think it is I mean you think about like like the, the level that we're talking about here is like Taylor Swift like do you know what I mean like I mean that's the level that we're talking about and you think of somebody from style to the look of it to how considered it is um, I think it's vastly different and like you know it's like it's like much darker as well but that was like a conscious choice for this particular record I don't know if she's going to keep going that way um, I think it's wildly different and yeah. like you know even like the structures thrown out the window really um uh, all the hooks are there but they're delivered in a much different way um, vocally she is completely on her own um, it's yeah she's honest. ushered in that kind of ASMR pop thing right, right? yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> like yeah yeah and like I can just see like all of the people coming up now going like okay well I can't just do the thing that I think is going to be successful I actually have to find a meaning and a purpose and something unique if I want to get up to this level mm-hmm. and that's the bar set and like you know it's kind of I mean we've talked about Dua Lipa before I mean our biggest issue she would do leap even though I love do leap and I love the track she has is like she does not have an identity the way um Billie Eilish has and like if you put those two together I know which one I would want to be a pop star over another you know yeah 100% yeah. she feels like a rock star like she feels like an old she does, fashioned yeah. just larger than life do you know what I mean she just in terms of she feels like she means more culturally than you know you think pop star um charismatic blah 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 kind of just well known blah, blah blah has the image thing going on she feels like someone that has a voice that might actually influence culture and the way people think about whether she gets political or just you know her take on where we're at as people like she feels like she will be an important person for a while that's a lot to put on her shoulders she obviously doesn't have to do that but she's more than capable I think she's like a modern day Van Halen yeah (laughs) but I I think ultimately sorry then maybe Rockstar was an insult (laughs) it's that thing of like uh, I had the pleasure of seeing her live in a kind of Olympia sized venue in London before like you're never gonna fucking see her there again I saw her at Picnic and it was a much different situation where I was like this is awful I'm being crushed by people and it sucks yeah, um, but that's people's fault yeah I'm not blaming her you know <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah I, I like it's it's interesting to watch the ascension happen so rapidly and obviously we've referenced I mean, those that's too, there's 19 as fuck those yeah right? we referenced yeah. the Vanity Fair interviews before and how you know she's caught in this kind of weird world while she's like still in her fucking teens I didn't see the third one it's though. very good yeah, yeah. there's yeah. a weird moment though where they're like you know who's the most famous person in your phone and she's going through and she's like oh like you know this person this person Drake Drake texts me all the time and I'm like no <laughs> oh, no no yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is Drake cancelled? <laughs> Somehow not yet, no. Uh, but we'll see what 2020 brings. 
But basically, uh, <laughs> oh, as regards Billie Eilish, I think this is a really impressive debut. Uh, I agree with Craig that there are flaws. It's not the most coherent narrative. Uh, maybe that's in line with what Dahi was kind of saying. I think she's a force for good. I'm encouraged by dark pop being a thing for young people. Uh, I remember when I went to that Billie Eilish gig, to me it felt like a Slipknot gig. And I was like, this is like the gigs I went to when I was a teenager. This is good. People can handle this. You know, like, like it's important to kind of embrace these things. She's been very forthright about mental health and about like taboo subjects. Uh, she's definitely a role model. I hope the industry doesn't burn her out. I hope what we get from her next is good. I hope it takes some time. Don't give me another Billie Eilish album next year. Don't I rush it. I hope she hops on that fucking jam band train that we're seeing. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to some Grateful Dead, Billy. Yeah, I mean, like, at that point, I, I, I probably pull my fan card and move on to our number seven. That's Lancome. The album's called The Live Long Day. It is their third record, second under the name Lancome, previously known as Lynched. And this one, it's interesting because like the previous record that came out a couple of years ago was in contention for the Choice Music Prize. And I was on the panel that year and I was pretty sure it would be in the top five. It wasn't. It was kind of eliminated early doors. And that really surprised me because there was quite a bit of buzz about them. I think this is going to win the Choice Prize next year. Interesting. This... Dahi has described this as like an aggressive shot in the arm for folk music that you think that it needed. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate on that, sir? Um, well, I, I would, I would. The thing I would compare it to would be the gloaming for traditional Irish music, yeah. Um, where essentially um, folk music and traditional music, it's literally in the fucking name. Like, you know what I mean? Like people really believe that like you have to stick to tradition really heavily and the problem is is that if you try and um uh break that tradition 90 percent of the time it be- turns into this like cheesy mess that's like ill-considered and um uh, almost disrespectful and just doesn't come across as good um so it takes so much to bring something into a new light and completely changes on its head and make it um uh completely unique and that is what Lancome's done with this record. Like, I mean, this is absolutely crazy. I mean, from the word go, probably for my money, the best opener to an album I've ever heard in my life. Wow. Like, The Wild Rover is like just an absolutely incredible song. It like completely cleanses your palate from anything you've been listening to before. And then throughout the thing, like there's a song called Katie Cruel that has a similar vibe to it where it's like this thing where you're taking the stuff that uh, was kind of like taken very lightly in folk music and then has turned it on its head to become this incredibly powerful um emotional kind of soundscape um and like there's just so much in these tracks that are like so hypnotic and they just like grab your attention from the word go and just like they it's just there the entire time you're kind of in there the whole time um it's completely unique and there's nobody else doing anything like it and you can see it from the reaction from abroad and everything as well you can see people are going like holy shit like what is going on here this Mm. is amazing um and they're taking like again buzzwords for dahi like they're taking their own like um where they come from and what their culture is and bringing it and, and bringing it into them and that that's what makes them truly unique so it's really really special really, really so you're special. 
saying Dubliners make the best folk music <laughs> in the country. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, like I wouldn't be anywhere near as well versed in this kind of music as you would, Dahi. Um, but yeah, str- like straight away, it's such a bracing kind of stark listen. Like it felt like they were just like scrubbing away decades and decades Mm. of tradition and tropes and cliches and getting to this like a ancient kind of truth of the original kind of forms and it's weird like it's such a a throwback it's it's kind of yeah as i say bracing you're kind of i was overwhelmed by it first listen it feels like a physical thing it does yeah and like that's the best quality that music has for me is having a visceral reaction to something um i've been trying to navigate the waters of this record and there's been people being like you know fucking if they performed on like a variety show everyone's just putting up the fucking 10 and i'm like well let's just pull back for a second shall we because let's just nothing's perfect on its first run is it and there's times when i listen to this record and i'm like oh my god i'm like there are some fucking bone-shaking, soul-grabbing yeah. songs on here. And there are. And then there's times when I come to the end of it and I'm like, mm, it kind of tapers off a bit for me. I agree that the opener is exceptional. It has exceptional songs on it. It has moments where I lose myself and I lose track of time, which yeah. is tough to do. And then there's times when I'm like, mm, maybe it meanders a bit here and there. I'm not too sure. I think ultimately it's a fantastic record. I think it might be the best Irish album of the year. If it won the choice next year, I don't think I would have much in the way of objections. I'm not fully sold on it being this perfect reformation of anything, but they have announced themselves with this one to be a band of tremendous value. Mm-hmm. I thought with the previous one that they were an interesting curiosity, not to re- not to like dismiss them or anything like that at all, but I, ultimately it's not the kind of music I would gravitate towards anyway. But, you know, even on a critical level, I was like, there's some very impressive stuff here. They've got something... Let's see where that goes. And we say that all the fucking time. Let's see where this goes. Just a little bit Billy Eilish there and other artists as well. Can't wait to see where they go next. And it's such a cliche. And I do, we, it's almost like it's a way of getting out of a conversation. But they've gone to that place and they've done it extremely well. It's an exciting album. And sometimes it's a dangerous record and it's really fucking important. So, yeah, I mean, like, if anything, I'm shocked it's not in our top five. But it's yeah, not mm. in our top five. No, it's not. And that means it's not even number six, which is also Irish. It's Girl Band, a record that was one of the most interesting ones to review this year, I think, on the show. Yeah. The Talkies is the name of the album, of course. That song is Going Norway. It's the closest thing you're getting to an A to B or a radio, <laughs> yeah. or, or a radio single. Um, it's the hit. <laughs> it's a hit, kids. A, a band that we have an awful lot of love for. A band that I think the music community in Ireland and beyond has an awful lot of love for, for an awful lot of reasons, mainly because they're just so innovative and they challenge you. And that's, again, something that you desperately want from music. And, you know, they're a good bunch of lads. But um, we reviewed the record and I, I, in the room, I think I was the one who had the most kind of barriers about it because of just where I was at the time and funny and hard to kind of connect to. I mean, those walls haven't necessarily come down, but it was nice to get some space from it. 
and assess it differently. And yes, this is unquestionably an absolutely brilliant album. I retain those kind of issues in terms of like, I kind of had it with Holding Hands with Jamie as well. Like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that like, oh yeah, man, I'm throwing on my fucking girl band album every day because I'm not. They're a band that you have to meet. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think that that's kind of part of the point. They're a tough listen, but they're so rewarding and important. Yeah, I I think this is the best Irish record of the year. And I don't know if it's been getting enough love. I've seen a lot of, like, I thought it might place higher on kind of worldwide lists and stuff, and it, it hasn't so much. Just talking to um, people who work with, big music fans, and I keep coming back to, like, when I'm asked top albums of the year, I'll mention Girl Band, and I'm hearing a lot of, ah, oh, yeah, it's a bit much, though, isn't it? Like, it's fine at a tough list, and I feel like they're the Jeremy Corbyn of the list. Like, they're just too much for people. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They're too pure. They're too out there. They're really good They're not names. populist enough. <laughs> they're not the Fontaine's DC. <laughs> see, see, not I, I, Boris. I know, I'm sorry. I went there. You've done it. You've done it. Like, I've done it. You've done it. It's happened again. We should probably leave this conversation in 2019, but if we're going to have yes, it briefly, and we'll have it briefly because Fontaine's DC, of course, did release a record this year that's been getting a lot of critical acclaim and setting up on a lot of lists. And people and God bless them. them. People probably have them like Dennis' favorite for the choice prize. Um, I've made no secret about the fact that I don't quite get the Fontaine's DC thing. I will say that Dog Roll, their album, for me, is absolutely not in touching distance of my top 20 or this top 20. And ultimately, I think musically, they got some good ideas. Vocally, I can't get past the vocal whatsoever. I think it's an absolute joke. And also on top of that, I mean, for me, if you're doing the girl band comparison, and I'll do it briefly. I'll say this for the people who say that girl band is a bit too much to listen to. And hey, listen, I'm saying that in, in one mm-hmm. way, but for the people who would dismiss girl band and, 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 and might like Fontaine's that says it all for me. It's like Fontaine's are not, you're being sold this dangerous, edgy band on the edge of town and they ain't that. I've read reviews of their live shows recently that fucking, I ne- almost need to go to the fucking doctor. My eyes roll so hard in the back of my head. We need to stop fetishizing this band as some kind of incredible, roustabout, uh, working class, like, genius thing. They are not those things. They are an average guitar band. And I'm sorry, there are journalists across this country who are embarrassing themselves with the level of hyperbole. That I'm going spilling. back to the Boris comparisons. <laughs> no, sorry. Um, yeah, I've I think a, just because had enough. Just, just because you mentioned that you read James Joyce doesn't mean that your lyrics are Joycean. Far <laughs> from it. I think there's some good songs on that Fontaine's DC album. They're very good live. I think they're a good band and they're promising and I wish them all the best luck but yeah it would be nowhere near my top 20 but going back to girl band like I feel yeah, just, you can't compare them no they're like, totally it's just different so wildly different and especially this album would, would double down on that idea yeah you know, if, but I if do anybody... understand Craig, Craig's point though that like perhaps one has been getting an awful lot of adulation that perhaps should have been and that's understandable like, you know girl band are an abrasive listen I mean they're not going to be for everyone um, yeah I mean I don't think I don't, like I think the girl band album is absolutely incredible but like I mean you know, I don't. There's, there's certain people who I know for a fact wouldn't listen to this record. Like, yeah. I mean, this is not. You're not looking for the same type of people. Like, yeah, it's so just completely wildly different. And if 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 you could compare like Girlband's last records to the Fontaines, then there's maybe a small <laughs> tenuous link or an inspiration. But this record is so wildly different and like so. Um, like just completely not a pop record. <laughs> it's just like you can't. There's there's nothing here that's even close to that, and, and it's just wild that anybody can 
compare any of it. Like I don't. I don't yeah. know. Well, I think it's I the think only it's, reason you're comparing it is because it's an Irish band. No, the only reason he's comparing it is because both bands released albums in this year, and both of them have been like talked about quite a bit. And the fact is, for whatever reason, the narrative decided that Fontaines were the spiritual successor to Girl Band. It's a narrative that doesn't hold weight. I agree with you on that one. Mm. However, the conversation is valid because we're looking at what had been championed up there as the two guitar bands. I told that fucking anecdote recently on the show about being in a bathroom where like, there were lads in the bathroom, young lads comparing the two bands. People are doing it. Whether yeah. it's right or whether it's wrong, it's happening. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I think it's a case of Fontaine's DC being a good at what they do, kind of quite straightforward rock band. But the conversation isn't that it's like they're doing something innovative or they're kind of resurrecting some genius spark of like innovation, which I don't think is there. No, to be which fair, isn't quite there. I understand Dolly's frustration because this they're totally wholly different. But yeah, also, yeah, no, yeah. but also this section. Of and what, I was being quite waggish. No, 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 when no, no, brought no, them so up. was I. But also this section of what we're doing right now, we're here to talk about Girl Band's album. However, I do think that like this is a jumping point. This is a jumping off point to talk about a wider Irish kind of cultural conversation, which you've, which we've been doing with Lancome as well. Like it's interesting that they're kind of following each other on this list. Mm. However, not to do girl band a service, we should focus on that record. Yeah, and let's yeah. do so. I think a huge aspect of one that appeals to you, Dahi, was the fact that the, you basically have kind of credited them with almost kind of reframing techno at one stage on, on the album. Yeah, absolutely. Which nobody saw coming. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it, this. The record doesn't feel like a rock album to me. It feels like something completely avant garde that takes from both like techno rhythms and stuff like that and also kind of metal and and very dark kind of grungy rock and stuff like that as well mm. um i think it's out in its own um it's absolutely mind-boggling the amount of sheer sound that you can get out of this record like it's just absolutely um intense as fuck um and yeah i mean like i think like like you guys as well i mean it's 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 a fucking active listen you have to sit down with this and like actually pay attention to it there's no there's no throwing this on while you're driving around you know it's something that we kind of uh, referred to when we did the review on the show so i know we've talked about the gig recently but just out of curiosity did you find much difference or even maybe the opposite of that and maybe a, a perfect realization of the record in a live setting? Like what was the, what was the relationship no. you have from then? Uh, yeah, no, it, they were wildly different. Like it wasn't, um, the record is a very singular piece that, uh, the, I don't think they, they even wanted to translate it into a live setting. If you know what I mean? Like when you go see girl band now as a live band, from what I saw, it was very much, um, you're not going to check out this album. They're ne- they're not going to do this album like as a kind of a, like a, a run through or whatever. Mm. Like you're watching girl band as a band, whereas on this record you're listening to a piece of music that they created. You know, um, it, yeah, that's in, like it does feel like it's outside of themselves. Yeah, like it's this yeah. weird manifestation. Whereas the previous record was like you had those moorings and those touch points and it felt like dealing with the, you know, someone's psyche. This is like, even beyond that, it's like outside of themselves. They've just yeah. conjured something up like. And there's a, there's a thing and I think we'll talk about it a little bit more when we get into the five uh, top acts is that like one of the things that like that to me is like a really, the sign of a really incredible artist where album by album they they take on almost like a character or like a theme or something like that and it sticks to that theme as as a singular thing and it's not it, it doesn't have anything to do with your overriding like career or like your yeah, yeah. like your your entire library of tracks like they shouldn't be compared to each other like you should have like singular things um and i think like billy eilish is a good example of that as well where you're taking singular pieces of of a project and it's almost like a uh, an artist is an artist with a couple of different bands and those different bands are the albums if you know what i mean yeah, yeah. as opposed to the other way around um and i think girl band like 
again, the next record is going to be so wildly different again. They could do that's anything. That's magic. Yeah, yeah. They could totally do anything. That's magic. That's incredible. I feel like we could talk about these last two records all day. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they should have been in the top five. <laughs> Let's find out, though. Our top five, which we will now reveal in alphabetical order by the artist, and then we'll have a chat about all five of them and see what happens. Our first album on the list. Something that I want you to know Turn on the shower Cause we have the same power 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 That was Big Thief. The album is UFOF. Album number two. FKA Twigs, the name of the record is Magdalene, our third record. Lana Del Rey and Norman fucking Rockwell, exclamation mark. Number four on our list. Radiohead Miserablist, Thom York, and Anima. And finally, our fifth album for debate. That is Tyler the Crater. The name of the record is Igor. Where to start on this list? It's a tough one. It's a tough five. It's um, a really tough. Five. It's really tough. Yeah, it's pretty difficult. Yeah, I mean, like you know, we talked about Big Thief before on the show. Um, a huge year for them, indie darlings. People seem to absolutely adore this band, like they're a fucking family member. I've been a bit of a skeptic. Um, they released a second record this year, which is called Two Hands. Two like hands. Came out six months after UFOF. And for me, it's the better record. Um, it, uh, one I certainly enjoyed more. Um, and I will say like from the off here, like there's been a few lists this year that have grouped them in together as one pick. Like, which is nonsense. I don't understand <laughs> this totally thing. totally different records. That, I, yeah, I, I really don't get the, the, this no. thing to me. Uh, that That is 
a strange decision and I don't get it. I don't know why that's acceptable. And people have kind of just been like, yeah, that's fine. Like it's like two different films come out by the same filmmaker within a six month period and like picking them as like your, your number three or number four. They're two different records. It's mind blowing to me that, 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 that this has even been fucking a consideration. So for me, it's one or the other. And for me, it's two hands. It isn't UFOF. And I mean, like, you know, there's an alchemy to this record that has definitely swept over the fucking world in some respects. Mm. What am I kind of missing here? Like, I, I think the second record had more teeth, you know, I think the second record had more about it. I think teeth wise, yeah, I get like it's you know the second record is them kind of flexing their muscles as a rock band. There's an immediacy there. It's like these songs that they had, they just kind of trashed them out. There's a live feel. There's grit. There's the earth. It's like it's definitely the kind of earth-based record. And UFOF is the mystical side of them, and I think it leans more into what makes them different as a band. Uh, I think it kind of scratches a, a more difficult itch to reach uh, and it's just wholly more impressive and captivating for me yeah for me like the uh, uh, I much much prefer the UFOF record mm. than I would um, the other one uh, and I think one of the main reasons is is that like the thing that makes Big Thief so special to me is um, how they work as a band like there's uh, it's v- it's very very um, clear that like the, the reason why they're a fantastic band is the way they work together and anytime you watch them live or any like live videos that you watch or anything like that you can just see it in them they have this like connection that is completely unique and super super special and I think UFOF um, showcases that better than the other one or I think it like it feels more like you're 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 being let in to this band and like you're able to see how they work together um, and I, I genuinely think this, just the general songs are better of, of, of all the records that are off, of, off all the the, so, the albums that we're looking at here um, this has more like kind of just stand out really good singular standing tracks than than what the rest of them would have in my mind anyway Um I think it's a, I think it's a great record. I think it's really really good. Yeah, I, I I sink into this one a lot more, and I feel like a lot of these songs started life as Adrian Lenker's kind of solo work. Yeah, and oftentimes the bands don't do a whole lot to them, um, but it's those kind of subtle touches that they bring in that just kind of totally somehow transform what's going on. Um, I think that's a harder act to pull off than what they accomplished on two hands yeah and, um, and like because like one of the things as well and we've talked about this before is this idea that you know um uh it's primarily the instrumentation of what they're doing but the thing that really sets them apart this year is the way they've they've taken all these little extra pieces and slowly devolve yeah. stuff and like add little effects and stuff and it would be so easy to overdo that um but it's such a softly softly approach to like the way that they're doing that stuff and, and how they make it really, really interesting. I think I said in the review when we were reviewing it was this like idea that um, you start like sinking into it and slowly kind of falling in and getting hypnotized and then they do something that suddenly like grabs your attention back in again and then suddenly you're like back and focusing back in on them and that could be either from like some sort of textured scratching noise over the top of something or the way a delay is hitting on something and that's like really really special because it's just done so deftly and kind of so softly that you barely notice it but it's it's like a really powerful kind of pulling and dragging that it has if you know what i mean yeah um and i think from her writing i mean um 
the two hands record is a lot more outward and straight up and you can imagine her being a, an important spokesperson for you know indie rock and just kind of her generation i think mm. that's something that she could easily assume ufof is more it's like a dream it's the the imagery is kind of more skewed um it's mellifluous it's just shifting and that just intrigues me a whole lot more. And I find myself going back and finding new things a lot more than the straight ahead, very good songs on two hands. Mm. So the softly, softly thing is actually what kind of rankles with me a little bit, because <laughs> I mean, it's like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, I do like this record. I, I, and I've come to like this record. I never disliked it. I just didn't quite feel it. And I still don't feel it the way a lot of people do. But to me, I'm kind of baffled by, you know, the idea of even what you were saying there, you're like, what makes it so special is like the the, the occasional delay pedal or I'm yeah. like, and I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, I'm like, why, why are we like, like, I'm like, I'm like, when did we, when did we decide that like, you know, this weird uh, homeopathic approach to music that is like barely fucking field out is actually revolutionary. But, like, but it becomes something very clear. Like, I mean, uh, one of the, like, the, the biggest kind of issues that people have today with, with music is that, like, I mean, you have access to every single sound under the sun, every single choice under the sun. You can do whatever the fuck you want. So the real skill is in... Um, Knowing that you have all that stuff, but choosing the right stuff, right? So I mean, restraint—that's that's yeah, it's the that's the art of production right now. But a record like, of restraint, though. I mean, it's a gorgeous palette. It's yeah, and I think it's it's more than the sum of the parts. It all adds up to this very unique vibe it, that you can't quite put your finger on. Like it mm. reminds me of kind of Neil Young's more like it's after the Gold Rush. Just so this, there's some kind of extra magical quality to what they're doing, Completely, and I don't yeah. think it's totally tangible but it, it's very impactful. Well, let's contrast that with a record that does have a high level of production, and that's Magdalene by FKA Twigs, recently reviewed on the show, well-received by Craig and I, and a record that is steep in the avant-garde, as is everything that she does, uh, something of a triumph. I mean, it makes the odd misstep if you consider the future future to be that, or if you consider it, as Craig was kind of saying, to be some kind of commentary yeah. on the use of male vocalists in a female setting. And maybe, in fact, that is what she was going for. And if so, that is a genius move. I thought yeah. it, Either I, way, he sounds hopeless. On <laughs> I don't know. As I much know, as I love I the future, mask off the classic. If it was clear, <laughs> and it, he kind of took me out of it. But this is a record that is kind of instantly in your bloodstream. What was your reaction to it? Like, for me, the... I feel like this is a record that I will listen to like for the rest of my life kind of thing. Like I, wow. I feel like I'll keep coming back to it. Um, I, like as a, as a, it just seems so like rich in life experience or something like that. It seems like she's been through all these difficult things, but it feels like she's understood the pain and it, not that she's necessarily like um, come out the other end, but she is able to express it through music in a way that is pretty much like one of the most powerful things I've gotten all year um, and it comes down to both like how she uses her voice she's like sometimes it feels like she's not singing at all that she's just like it's just like the emotion is coming out of her in some sort of way right um, and then like there's like the, the chorus of uh, Home With You like is like a really, oh. really good example of that stuff where it's like she just suddenly says something that's like so incredibly direct and like powerful. Like I didn't know you were lonely if I could like, yeah. and, and it's, it's just, just like, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's so powerful. And like, you know, it's, it's tied with the production as well, because I mean that, that 
um, moment is really powerful because everything else gets the fuck out of the way and then suddenly she says this thing and there's nothing else around it and you're like fucking hell and like the the power and the ability to do that in an album like not a lot of people have that mm-hmm. and to be able to do it in such a high level um, it's it's extremely special it's like really really amazing yeah I thought it was a really uh, I hate using the word brave but it's you know it's a really mm. kind of uh, significant artistic statement and emotionally packs a huge punch I really like the overarching narrative of the record I like the kind of the framing of the Magdalene like the Mary Magdalene character and what she's trying to explore about her experience obviously in a previous relationship but also how women throughout the ages have been seen as you know second fiddle to men or just Mm -hmm. kind of bit part players in the heroic stories of blokes Um, and her kind of seeing Mary Magdalene as actually someone that had inherent value and someone that you could learn from and be this totemic thing she invented Invests it with so much power. It's it's fucking. It is really really powerful. Yeah. Um. And it just carries carries the music through. Voices thing of wonder. It's so raw. Um. It's so you could say glossily produced, but it it never feels like that. It feels like its own shifting kind of animalistic thing. You can't see the stitches. There's no like. It doesn't feel like you see what she was going for. It's just its own thing. It perfectly hangs together. I can live with the future thing. Got to give her the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is this. After a few listens, I was like, okay, this is something special. And it's going to take some beating, I think. To rip that titular veil from the most sacred of texts. There you go. And effectively, you know, wear it and repurpose it and recontextualize it and weaponize it in such a way that she has done yeah. is to be applauded. It's, it's, it's exceptional ownership. Uh, it's an album that confronts you and confronts an awful lot of issues and does it with exceptional grace, I think, while also dealing with personal loss and the kind of horrible look in the mirror that has to come with that, all dressed up in these songs that are exceptionally challenging and interesting and don't conform to typical narratives, but also give you enough kind of dopamine hits I suppose with Mm. regards to how they how they move so you talk about your great women songwriters you talk about people who have also been kind of perhaps boxed into these unfair roles and are not willing to fucking take it at all and challenge people directly you talk about Lana Del Rey (laughs) Norman fucking Rockwell has come along and was pretty much instantly hailed as a classic yeah this is an artist who uh, I always come back to the Hot Press days, Greg. I always come back to the first... <laughs> Me being right. <laughs> the first emergence of Lana Del Rey and uh, video games and, you know, our editor being six months behind the curve and all that kind of fucking hilarious stuff of like, hey guys, have you heard about this Lana Del Rey figure? Oh, really? It's like, yeah, we have, yeah. Um, and I I was very cold. I was very like, nope, this is a gimmick. This is... That was a total construct, yeah. Yeah. And like, don't get me wrong. I, like, I'm I'm a fucking Girls Aloud fan. I'm a wrestling fan. I don't necessarily need a thing to be the most authentic thing of all time. Well, Alan Ray, I just found it to be a bit too, again, like I was just being sold this fucking thing. You know, I'm just like, everyone's yeah. like, it's this is the thing. You must consume. And I was just like, I don't know, not really for me. And you weren't alone in that. Like a, a lot of people came across with that. Like that you either really, really liked Lana Del Rey or you you felt that it was like a manufactured thing that was like not honest or real. Yeah. Yeah. There was, you know, because of the, uh, the kind of aesthetic she was choosing, it's very easy to veer into pastiche with that stuff just yeah. because it's been so overdone. But I thought the strength of her music 
totally you know um, compensated and then carried for that and there was a few dips there after like I, I didn't think that his second album was particularly strong there was a few EPs I didn't know quite where she was going the last record Lust for Life I thought was an absolute revelation it was classic songwriting it brought her up to a level with the people that she kind of worshipped I thought um, we all kind of loved that at the time uh, it got strong reviews, but I feel like a lot of people are playing catch up with Norman fucking Rockwell and saying the things about this record that I felt about the last one. You're getting a bit of a national boxer versus high violet thing going on, are you? Yeah, kind of. I think the <laughs> yeah, conversation your, your classic is... boxer versus high violet conversation. I just <laughs> had in pubs <laughs> up and down the country <laughs> like, hey, I you, yeah. <laughs> on a Friday night. <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. This was this. This one was. Um, slower grow for me I think because it didn't quite have the dynamics of the last record I knew she could do that kind of classic songwriting it felt a bit samey and it's properly clicked for me recently and I think it's her second great album so this is uh, her sixth record yeah it is 14 tracks long Mm -hmm. it is an hour and seven minutes long it has a huge Jack Antonoff presence and it has all your land array staples. So naturally, I despise it. Oh, hang on. No, wait, wait, wait what? a second. I don't despise it. I think it's really fucking good. <laughs> I was going to say that her biggest achievement is having Jack Antonoff produce this and you not realize that That's I, the thing. I actually like I, I learned it after the fact to my horror. Yeah. <laughs> I was, it's like waking up with a fucking horse's head in your bed. I was like, no. But then I was like, OK, cool. I mean, he didn't do much. on. Although, again, you look at those credits and he's, he's all over the writing credits as well. So you can't say he's not involved um but ultimately yeah i mean like you're talking about like the biggest hype artist and i don't mean that as a dismissive thing i mean in terms of just the physical application of hype to an artist and people saying that she's the greatest thing of all time i don't mean that she doesn't justify it at all ultimately i would agree with craig i think her last record was particularly very very strong and with this one i'm seeing like the fucking the you know the 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 proclamations when this record drops and everyone just like end of the year now (laughs) and you're like mother god but then you know you finally find the time and you find the rhythm and you listen to the thing and you're like yeah it's it's extremely strong Mm. she's an artist who will always be fond of an indulgence and again Give me that give me that eight track Lana Del Rey record you know, someday, please. But the more I listen to it, the more it makes sense. And the more it makes sense is one of the great records of the year. Yeah. Her switch up, um, particularly on this record, uh, there was kind of um seeds of it was sown in the last record, but her switch up to kind of social commentary has been really deft. I think she handles that really well. It's such a tough trick to pull off and not be cliched and hackneyed and but I actually think this is the most kind of zeitgeisty record we have, I think, for 2019 in this top five. And she pulls it off. She pulls it off. I think she has a lot to say about the current state of the world. And you don't feel like you're being preached to. You don't feel like it's just trite statements. Um, I think she kind of navigates the territory of America and the wider context of the world very well. 
Uh, this is my least favorite. Uh, <laughs> 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 of, Arms folded. <laughs> out, of all, <laughs> out of all five of these, this is by a million miles my least favorite. <laughs> Wonderful editors. timing, yes. Um, what is your relationship with Lana Del Rey in general? Divorced. Uh, <laughs> uh, like, I really like Lana Del Rey. And I think the things that you're saying there, the, the things that's most valuable is um, the level of songwriting here is up there with the thing I would compare it to was last year when we talked about Mitski, right? Like, it's like... Okay. It's like like this evergreen, everlasting, incredibly well like um, thought out and created um, songwriting, and that's that's what this is. That's what makes this record great is is the the actual songwriting and stuff. So that's not great for me is the production okay. stuff, and to to the extent that it annoyed me enough that it, it has been taking me out continuously every single time I listen to this record. Wow. Okay. Like it's incredibly annoying. I what specifics immediately like- spotted the Jack Antonoff thing, <laughs> like immediately straight. I was like I was like I know this fucking sound. I know what this is. And then, and then I look at yeah yeah and I was like god damn it <laughs> like it's so fucking like ha- like we talked about like the, Hang on, um, did did you know it was him or did you look it up I was like I I I I I didn't know it was him but I knew it was uh, I I was like this production is a type of thing that I really dislike So when you looked it up and you saw his name were and you- I was like fucking that guy yes. <laughs> like fucking hell wow because it's like it has the Taylor Swift thing all over it as well anyway um basically it, it the, the problem with it is I mean we talked about the Hayden Thorpe record with with Diviner is that like you know the beauty of that is that there's this lovely like lush uh, underneath carriage of production mm-hmm. and then on top is Hayden Thorpe's record or uh, voice sorry um, yeah. so he gets this clear run so you can he has his own space there whereas in this record um the 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 production feels so muddy feels so like um like kind of hammy and like hard to push through and then you're sticking her voice in the middle of that same direction to the point where it becomes incredibly distracting I think it does a disservice to the songs because I think from chord structures to the way they're built and stuff I think they're absolutely beautiful songs and I think the production literally ruins it like I really really dislike it um and like I I the thing about it is that like the record itself I know from uh, a lot of people that I know that it's like a massively helpful record to people and people absolutely love it and the problem is is that the production really takes it away from me it was amazing seeing her Malahide Castle show and just mm. like the level of fandom was something I don't think I've I don't know if I've ever seen that level yeah. of hysteria at a gig. It felt like being at like a Beatlemania show of just the screaming, people losing their absolute minds. And just, you know, teenagers yeah. just, I haven't been at a gig like that. And, and I like, was very worried. And for that reason, <laughs> like, I mean, like there's no getting around the fact that this is definitely one of the biggest records of the mm. year. Like one of the most important, one of the ones that like really kind of set the year like off if you know what I mean um, I think it's yeah I mean it's definitely up there as one of the best albums I'm of glad the year. that you have I, that. I find it annoying well I'm, well I'm glad that you do because I mean like I mean I've kind of talked myself into like being like yeah it's probably the best album of the year and then I'm like but I'm getting swept up in the thing I'm getting like and like, I mean I'm getting, like, like, like I'm getting swept up in this thing of like I'm like well that would be like a, an interesting choice and like hey it's Lana album blah, blah, blah. and it's like but there is this kind of weird intoxication thing where I'm like everything you're saying there I'm like yeah you're making a lot of good points well, there I, I, I like the production thing I, as I was saying the I think answer, it goes beyond the, production the, though I didn't feel like there was Antonoff kind of markers there nothing about it annoys me but as I was saying like 
it took me a while to get into this and I was like oh actually these songs are as strong as the last album I wonder was that because the production was too samey the songs were being buried for me I don't know maybe there's yeah, something think, in that yeah there's, there's nothing there's nothing unique about this production that's for fucking sure like I mean we've heard every single thing of this before and to be honest like I mean even beyond that you know I think I think doing time is completely out of place as well I yeah, well, it's the, the one cover, and, like the song, right? It's the weakest song. It like it goes against what makes all the other songs so beautiful, which is her lyrics, right? Like, and the one song where she's not writing the lyrics, I'm like immediately, I was like, this this took me out of it as well. Yeah, um, she's felt like it was a no. Yeah, I think face. it has problems. I think it genuinely has problems. And when I look at this list of other things alongside it, I, I think it doesn't even come close, to be honest. Wow. Well, okay. which would you pick out of our next records to? Focus on doggy. There's two left. Uh, I mean, I think we should probably get the Tom York record out of the way, should we? Okay, that, well, that chancer. Like, <laughs> I mean, the living for decades. I mean, saying saying saying, get it out of the way. I mean, like, obviously, this is a heavy record. Yeah. It's very opaque. It's 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 very experimental and downbeat and dark and tough and all that kind of stuff. But like. Does that negate it? Does that is that a flaw? Is that a problem? Is it too Tom York for Tom York? I mean, like that's got some grooves as well. I mean, I think <laughs> I, I like. I mean, I absolutely love this record now. Mm. Uh, I mean, I think it's one of the. I think it is actually. It is the best electronic album of the year. Right. How I would describe it. Um, uh, I think it takes a lot of different elements of all of the things that he's done in the last however many years, and there is elements of that in here. Um, you both know my record on Suspiria. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it has some of those really kind of creepy, like elemental moments and like certain choir moments and certain string sections and stuff that would, that sound very much like he got like a lot of the stuff from that er- that era or, or from that, that moment in his kind of inspiration. Um, and then it also has um, uh, the very, very interesting kind of noodling electronic stuff that he has from all of his previous stuff, but it feels more finished and I think that's kind of what everybody has said is that like the record is feels more of a full album than the last couple of ones do yeah um I, I think it I think it travels really well I think it's really really unique I think it stands out um I think uh I mean Don Chorus alone <laughs> oh. the fact that it's in there is like yeah, yeah, a yeah. really powerful and it's short which is one of the things that we should be awarding as well right like like, like it's a nice <laughs> nice compact enjoyable listen doesn't overstay its welcome yeah um, like it's you know it's quite pretentious and he- portentous and heavy mm. and um, you know so saying Lana Del Rey's album is quite zeitgeisty I think in the review I said in terms of the vibe of 2019 it's like the world has caught up with Tom York's despair and he's now having that moment of like I told you it was all fucked and now it really is fucked so and this is like there, yeah. I'm now so- soundtracking your fuckedness <laughs> um, but I like the kind of process he went through with um, Nigel Godrich I think where he was just the kind of fiddling around with stuff playing music recording loads and loads and loads of stuff sending it off to Nigel who Mm -hmm. would then go okay these are the gems I'm going to loop these give them back to you and then you work around that and it's just it's been an inspired way to work because I think it's his most vibrant stuff in ages and I include Radiohead's more recent releases in that it's definitely his best solo work I think Mm -hmm. I like the Razor um, but he was it was kind of amateurish and it, it, he was kind of finding his feet in terms of electronics with that yeah and the other solo stuff didn't grip me um, emotionally Suspiria I thought was brilliant but now he feels like in that style of music he is rubbing shoulders with some of his pals and kind of influences in terms of Fortet or Burial or people he's been 
clearly influenced by I think he's now doing work in that genre on that level mm-hmm. um, lyrically it's really strong it's a dark record but yeah easily digestible I think it's it's great well it's I mean I think it's the ultimate example of admiring a piece of art in a fucking gallery but not really being able to like take the painting off the wall really okay yeah and it's like it's clearly brilliant it's so well constructed it's so of its own thing an incredible expression of the self and one that you can invite yourself into if you're having a particularly bad fucking day but like at the same time i mean oof, i mean can you really can you really like grasp this thing it's a it's it, it, it's so full of thorns and that isn't again that shouldn't be a knock on it but i mean fuck you know like uh, like <laughs> contrasting them with these records well like this to me is like it's not. It's not like it's my least favorite of the bunch or anything. But like, it's very much like okay, it's it, well done. You, you you've nailed this vision. I'm okay with going into 2020 and leaving it in 2019. Yeah, well, like my experience with it has been that it's his most intimate and um, like humane feeling thing in a while. Like I, I really kind of chimed with this. Because Tom York has, you know, there's so much baggage around Radiohead and Tom York. They're such an iconic group that they become a kind of, they risk becoming a parody of just kind Absolutely, of the sad yeah, sack yeah. thing. Um, you know, in the lineage of Joy Division or the Smiths, they are just that, that kind of thing. And at times, like the last Radiohead album, I just felt like, yeah, it's a Radiohead album. I couldn't get into it because it was just like, this is what you expect from them. With this, with a song like Don Chorus, if you describe this song, you're like, this is the most fucking caricature Tom York doing Tom York <laughs> despairing thing ever. And then you put it on and you're just overwhelmed by yeah. how accomplished and yeah, uh, kind of magical it is. It's just him really excelling at what he does best so much so that all the kind of caricatures and the baggage falls away. It's the most vital he's been in a long time, I think. Yeah, and, and it, following fair, up from like, Suspiria, which yeah. from, from a critical standpoint, look, I mean, I, I don't think it's the best record of the year, um, and I think like it has certain moments, like say Don Chorus, for instance, where it has like incredibly massive emotional impact. And I will say that there's certain parts of the records that don't get as close as that to like a big emotional impact thing. Um, I think as an electronic record goes, it's like stands out and is extremely different and uh, is beautiful. I think it's like really, really interesting. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's the best record of the year, but I definitely think it's up there. Okay. Interesting. We've got one more to go. <laughs> and, and, it, and it's got like, it's, tricky, isn't it? the last album's got like stuff like upbeat melodies and marching drums and, <laughs> and, 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 and singable choruses. And yeah, it, it's, it's, it's got all those things guys. Let's do it. It's Tyler the Crater, of course. It's Igor, an artist I have found to be very difficult to get into over the years. Um, This, to me, was the most kind of accessible, I think. Um, I mean, Flower Boy's up there uh, to a degree, but like this was like, oh yeah, cool. Like, what was I afraid of? You know, Mm. it was very kind of uh, from the off. And he can be scary. (laughs) Like, he's, you know, he's he's unpredictable. He he is unpredictable. Like, like he's, he's such an interesting personality that, like, I wonder if it often overshadows the work, at least in terms of the assessment thereof. Um, and with this, it was just very much like, yeah, there's like a lot of charisma here. There's a lot of drive. Uh, there's momentum pretty much from the off. I love the way it starts. It starts like a fucking 80s horror movie with yeah. that, yeah. like thundering. And it's also clearly displaying his standom of Kanye. I mean, it's pure Yeezus, right, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's just like on site, yeah, yeah. essentially. Just yeah. noise, blast. Uh, yeah, I mean, like mixed <laughs> with that kind of like, you know, neon drenched hotline Miami thing. Yeah. Um, I mean... 
at times it's guilty of being a bit a bit too uh, prone to maybe kind of wandering down a blind alley, but like it has such incredible uh, staple points throughout it that are just really strong songs and very well realized. Mm. Um, I think he's such an interesting figure. It would be such a great like, oh, this is our album of the year, man. But like, I don't know if it works as a full run. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Like it, the the things I think he does best, um, and has done his best throughout the whole career is like the way he chooses chords and stuff, and the actual melody. It's such a melodic album, and then like it's a lot of the songs. Um, and again, we've talked about this before. Is this idea that like you know, um, if those songs were like absolutely perfectly produced with the cleanest possible production, yeah. and everything, they might come across as boring. But he adds so much character and texture and tone by almost like underperforming everything you know yeah. like like his his his, his uh, singing voice is like pretty shy of amazing if you know what I mean but that adds to this like totally does. realism and kind of like this really kind of uh, this big honesty and stuff like I mean Earth, Earthquake for instance is like a perfect example of that stuff where it's just like if that was you know uh, John Legend or somebody like singing that out I'd be like yeah cool whatever but it's like it feels like it's the dude on the fucking street like yeah. screaming it at my face and like that there's that's something joyous about that abandon of aiming for the fucking sugar coated beach boys kind of yeah. Marvin Gaye melodies and just not quite reaching it but having the talent to yeah, you know yeah, write yeah. it like. and then it, it has these like amazing like um uh, these like it changes up suddenly like you're kind of like going through and you're in the middle of one song and then suddenly it like changes up like really heavily which is a kind of a, a staple of like modern hip-hop production right now but I think he's, he's done it particularly well um, I love this record I think it's really really good uh, you know in terms of hip-hop I think what makes him stand alone at the moment is how much like he's put the spotlight on he did this all himself yeah he's yeah. very very proud of the fact he's just like such a talented producer writer now he's kind of been abandoning the rap and just getting into singing um but like he's a one-man band and i think it was like one of the big wins of the year in a yeah. year that didn't have so many of them was it was so great to see him go number one in the billboard charts it's classic beat yeah. dj Khaled, who'd been <laughs> fucking trying every dirty trick in the book like i don't know giving away free fucking whatever kfc yeah, meals yeah. wherever he was doing along with the album to get his sales up and then just throwing a hissy fit that he didn't get his number one album oh it was it was a win for the good guys i think um and it was the first apparently billboard number one from a hip art hip hop artist that was solely a composed arranged and produced by the dude himself Incredible. so that was an amazing record to have uh yeah i love this i love the crunchiness of it um it's a total kind of flowering of that flower boy thing where he went out on a ledge um dropped his kind of masks and his characters and his trolling and this is him just really... I mean, it's a love album to a large extent. It's yeah, him I mean, unvarnished. It has, a, it has a really beautiful arc, like, you know, that yeah. kind of, like, it has the arc of a relationship from start to finish, you know. Yeah, and he's, he's totally dropped the... Well, not totally dropped the irony, but for large parts of it, the irony's gone, and that's really... Um, yeah, I mean, it feels special. like unbridled actual emotions that he's actually feeling as yeah. opposed to anything tongue-in-cheek, you know. Because um, he's always been a talented dude, but to see him take that leap... Um, is something to be applauded. I think. Yeah, he's like he's like released a mixtape or record every two years, which yeah. is a ridiculous run. Yeah, and it's taken me this long to kind of get on board, and I don't know if I'm fully on board. I don't know what it is about Tyler. I mean, like I love the fact that he has that kind of 
unique terrain, I suppose. Mm-hmm. He's very much Tyler the Creator. <laughs> like he's like he's not going to be confused with anybody else, and that's amazing. And this one I thought was a great realization of his id, I suppose. Um, I mean, like you're closing with like "Are We Still Friends," which is an exceptional track that yeah. like has fucking you know Al Green involved with regards to how we how we repurpose that, and it's it's strange because it, it like it, it's it's one of those things where you can easily kind of cherry pick from this one and be like that track that track that track that's great but it does work in terms of him as the a to b but like i say i don't know what it is about like it losing my attention i think when you get to that kind of six minute track as well towards the end i'm kind of like mm, i don't know man okay but his whole thing is that isn't it? his whole thing is like is, is is being challenging and opaque yeah i think so i think it's pretty He's a, like he. I think you know, like, like he mentioned the good guy thing. He mentioned like top of the billboard charts and doing it all himself. And it's he, his is a great story in the context of all of this. He's a great guy to root for. Yeah, I don't know if that makes the record the album here. Yeah, that is a point. I will say of these five, if I'm trying throwing one on at any given moment, if I'm probably still you know rinsing one of these albums, it's going to be Igor. Like it's the one I keep coming back to. Well, the it's most. probably the it's most, probably most accessible. Yeah. It's the most upbeat. Like you don't have to fucking fall down a dark rabbit hole of emotion <laughs> to stick it on. So maybe that's unfair. But I will say, from pure enjoyment, this has given me the most of the top five. Well, with regards to the critical analysis thing, I guess we need to look at the t- at the five now and be screw like, your critical analysis. <laughs> this makes me happy. Number one. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you want me to be happy? <laughs> is there an obvious number one here? Fucking, uh, this is a really difficult. Is there an obvious number five here? Is there an obvious anything here? <laughs> I, think if, I, think, I think if I read the room right, the Big Teeth record is probably number five. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the other three have something uh, more unique than the Big Teeth record. And even though I think the Big Teeth record is. Um, amazing really really good yeah. really, really powerful um i think the other four are saying and doing more new stuff and that's kind of what you want to look for for an album of the year is like somebody who's bringing like culture forward if you know what i mean yeah okay. and i would say that the other four do that more than the big teeth record do does i'd go along with that um where do we go next then you obviously despise the Lana Del Rey record. No, you like the songs, but the production completely I destroys like the songs, for you. But the production really, really uh, ruined it for me. If I'm being honest. Wow. Okay, that'd be upper echelons for me. Yeah. I definitely would. I'd place it above Tom York. I think. Dave, would you? I would. Yes. Okay. I definitely would. So Dahi what is. happens now? <laughs> oh my Dahi god! I don't think Dahi can do that. <laughs> I, that would be really, really difficult because yeah. I think um, if we talk about like which of the records are more unique than the other, I would say Anima is is um, a good deal more unique and is just steps out more, like does more interesting stuff and does it more differently. Um, and like, I can totally, I mean, I think if you're talking about an album as being something that you can relate back to your life really heavily and like always kind of like you, you take it as a learning lesson. Cause I mean, certain albums will do that. Like, um, I think, uh, Lana Del Rey's songwriting alone would do that again. Like I keep coming back to the Mitski thing because like for me, I had the best songwriting of last year. Um, and it became the thing that I listened to most this year in terms of all those records and yeah. everything. So, and then I also think that like the Lana Lee record is more of this time, like it's more 2019. It says more about this year. I think it's really, really like in place, if you know what I mean, compared to 
Tom York's record. Well, you're also dealing with two huge personalities in music who are also extremely different, like, as people, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, in some respects. And you other, don't know that. Well, <laughs> yeah, in, yeah, in, I know, well yeah. in other respects, they're not at all. Uh, but, like, at the same time, yeah, I mean, again, there's a, there's a whole cult of personality about Lana Del Rey, particularly in this kind of decade, I think. I think this decade has belonged to her yeah. in many ways. Maybe not so much Tom York, although, of course, Radiohead just do their thing. He just does his thing. He's prolific and successful and beloved. Um, I was more drawn to the Lana Del Rey record. Yeah. And I'm not normally drawn to her. Yeah. Like, I'm not. I've been very critical of her work. I do think it's a record that appreciates in value. And for me, it goes above anima. It just does. I think, <laughs> have to keep sending it I think overall, keep sending. the songs are better. Apart from Don Kors <laughs> on Norman fucking Rockwell. I would have to have that above Tom York. As like, much so as yes, I adore you had, you've had like a Tom. good, like guttural punch from the, the Lana Del Rey stuff. Yeah, the like likes of the greatest. It feels um, like an Mariner's Apartment Complex. Like the tracks we got like last year. I, think I, was, I was getting very excited. California is incredible. Venice Bitch is fucking great. Yeah, like it's, it ha- for me... I would have to have Norman for closing tracks. Out. Amazing. We're killing die. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, like, I, I totally, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, you are. <laughs> I mean, again, like, I mean, the important thing to remember as well is that this is like a no encore list. And I think that like, you know, um, uh, I think <sighs> if we're talking about the best records of the year, Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I, love how, I love how you just ran it around. Yeah, yeah. I was about to talk myself into it. Like, oh, God. Well, look, um, I mean, like, ultimately, I mean, like, are we talking number one here out of these two records? Or are we not talking? Are we, we're, no, we're, we're not. We're not no. talking number one here. No. Okay, right. I presume we're talking about three and four here. Yeah, I, I would see FK Twigs and Tyler being the top two. Right. I'll, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that, yeah. Um, and I would see FK to speak number one. <laughs> Not to jump ahead of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, admin, Craig. Oh, yeah, sorry. Got to go in order. I mean, like, okay, well, what, what's the argument then for, like, for Anima taking that, that coveted bronze medal? Yeah, see, this is the thing. I, I mean, mean, like, for, for me, for me, the, the, the thing that would put Lana Lil Ray above, sorry, but the thing that would put Norman fucking Rockwell above Anima would be that the record as a whole and lyrically speaks to you uh more than the production um of anima is like uh unique and different and moves music forward in some sort of way okay so is the importance of um the lana del rey songwriting um uh more important than music more important being pushed forward whether whether (laughs) anima is pushing forward like music from a production level um i just like i mean i keep keep cutting back to like don chorus and like yeah how i mean don chorus is the the reason don chorus is so fucking powerful is not because of the lyrics like it's because of the sum of its parts and it becoming a bigger thing by don chorus is better than anything on the lana del rey record yeah, but it's albums we're talking about. Yeah, the tricky thing. I yeah. don't know. Is it like? I mean, I, I think that they're no. I, I, you had an emotional reaction to Lana Del Rey as strong as I didn't. No, I I I found myself engaging with Lana Del Rey one and kind of letting down my own barriers and trying to understand her worldview, and I did so successfully on this one more than I've done on a lot of others. Mm. Uh, Lust for Life maybe is on a similar level, but I do think that, I do think it's a terrific fucking work. I think it's a brilliant 
play. I think it's a, it's a really, really well-realized world. I will say this. I And there's, again, like, it's very easy to get won over by, like, just seeing everyone around you being like, it's fucking amazing. And it's like, oh, shit, maybe it is. The thing I kept coming back to with Lana Del Rey record, the more I listened to it, and I listened to it a lot over the past week or two, is these are the best versions of her, the best versions of her songs. At the end of the day, these are still just Lana Del Rey songs. And thus, are we getting anything new? Are we getting anything revolutionary here? No, we're getting a perfection, perhaps, of Lana Del Rey, and that's obviously a great thing. But I'm not the, the the initial resistance that I had to Lana Del Rey in that office in twenty fucking eleven, twenty ten, yeah, twenty eleven. It, it's still in me. She's realized the best version of herself from my skeptical point of view, and she's made a fucking brilliant album. But it's still Lana Del Rey. <laughs> like it's still that. Like it's still Lana. It's still that character. And I know. You're not allowed to say Lana Del Rey's a character, but like, it is. She is. I don't think that's a problem, though. She does. If you say that. If you say what? That it, it's a character and it's whatever, like, you know. I mean, was the, her point not that she, that there was nothing wrong with like playing up to characters and putting on masks and stuff like that? No. I don't know. I don't know. What she, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know either. It's <laughs> I mean, like, that wasn't I, an I issue think, with Bo, like Bowie. Do you know what I mean? It should be with anybody. Yeah. Well, the thing that makes it really special is that it's an extremely like, 2019 American record right I mean it's like yeah. very kind of it's almost like um, the world itself is now so unbelievably hyper real that uh, Lana Del Rey <laughs> you long for the grey British steel <laughs> from York no no no, no. <laughs> like hang on let me think this through as I'm saying it but like so the like the world is so unbelievably hyper real now and like it's all unbelievable that like Lana Del Rey almost fits more into 2019 than she did in 2011 right like this like fuck that's really mega hyper real like <laughs> good point and she, she she makes more sense now so that like and that's probably one of the reasons why we, you can go along with her stuff more because like it's even down to the pop art on the fucking album cover right it's like this like weird like the stuff that she's saying and obviously there's like the American Sweetheart thing like built into it as well and it feels really like when we always complain about this idea of um, like people going like a writing an album about the fucking end of the world or some shit like that or like that like oh the world's gone crazy I'm gonna make a commentary on it whereas this is like a, on a higher plane of that I think well two things there I would say three things one excellent points two I think you have to give her credit as well for moving with this. I don't yeah. think that it's just like she fell no, into this. No, exactly. This I is a considered move. I don't want to say that like yeah, it just yeah, yeah. so happened to happen. Like I mean, she's aware of what has going on. And it's a very much, it's like a comment on America. Like, yeah, but like, the third thing I'm, I'm going to say here is that like... Uh, reality is her latest pastiche. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that, I don't know if you were like looking to use that as a, as a like, well, that's why it's the fourth best album. No, no, <laughs> to it's, me, why, it's why I'm going above that. That's yeah, why I'm, I'm talking yeah, no, myself yeah, no, into yeah, it going higher. Like, yeah, because like, I, like, I, I think it, in that context... And that's one of the reasons yes. why it brings it more to makes it makes it even more special than it than it is. And so for all of the flaws that I don't like about it, I can recognize the the stuff that makes it like well and above one of the best. What it represents? Kind of yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. If you know, ten years from now we look back to twenty nineteen, will we be thinking of the Lana Del Rey's more so than Tom York? Who'll just we'll be thinking of him just of like decades and decades. Yeah, of, he'll be you thinking know, of his decades. Like this that. isn't a Tom York peak. Maybe it is in a certain aspect of what he's doing right now. 
but I think she's defining the times more. Back in your box, Tom York, anima number four. <laughs> yeah, let's do no, let's do that. Like okay. I mean that makes that makes sense to me. NFR number three. Okay. So Big okay. T five, Tom York four, Landa right, three. All Come, worse than our big two. <laughs> comes down to Tyler the Creators Igor and FK Twigs Magdalene. Uh, opening show for me is FK Twigs. <laughs> like, well, t- Tyler's it album, says more. It's Tyler's album's more. a great achievement. It's kind of a genre exercise. It's him um, fulfilling that kind of songwriting thing he was dipping into. It's a great accomplishment of like what he can do as a producer. It's a great showcase for his talents. Um, and I love the fact that he's so raw and just putting his full, you know, it's, it's heart in the sleeve stuff. I think this sets the stage for him to go on and maybe create masterpieces. I think Magdalene's the masterpiece, maybe. It's really weird that, like, you can look at all of them and they're hard to, like, rank. But then when you just put <laughs> the one and two together, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. so much easier to rank. Isn't that yeah. so weird? Like, the Magdalene record is everything that we've been saying that it is. It's like this, like, really emotionally honest, like, the most emotionally honest, like, gut punch of a record that I've heard in such a long time and um, like I've, I always expected really good things from FK Twigs and I was always really excited but like never in a million years would I think that like a record at this level would like come out of basically nowhere you know what I mean like she just like arrived with it as if it's come from fucking Mars or something like it's it's the thing as well of like I mean I, I haven't enjoyed a, a better closure to an album this year, like not like in both standalone form and mm. also in the context of the record in which it appears. You know, we've talked about cellophane obviously so strongly, but when it arrives, and I remember my, my first listen to this record, and then you know my fucking fifteenth or whatever. When it comes along, the way it comes along, yeah, yeah. it's like a relief. It's like a just it's it, it's it is that kind of crystallization it is that moment such a yeah it's it, like it, it is it is the it is the impact statement it is the full stop it is the exclamation mark it is it is the fucking complete and utter apex and realization of a project that builds and builds and builds that moment i remain mystified by critics who complain about its placement on the record yeah it's bizarre it's like, so odd yeah it's it the perfect has, ending absolutely has to be there it is the end credits because <laughs> you can't follow and beyond yeah. it is the ellipsis it's everything and it's so unbelievably well put together and it's it, not to do a service to what comes before because it's all about that build and it's all about those those interlocking parts and this is an artist who has completely found themselves, not to suggest that she wasn't already there because her work has been kind of fucking peerless, I think, for a long time. I mean, like, it's hard to compare and contrast. She kind of arrived fully formed and, you know, exceptional straight away. For and sure. continues to do so. Yeah, yeah it's like, it, like, again, I mean, like, like a lot of the songs, I, I guess a lot of the music this year has been kind of difficult in some respects and it's not the easiest of listens. But like, again, that shouldn't be a thing. It shouldn't be a flaw. It's not a flaw. I think, yeah, it, this is this is the number one album of the year. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, and yeah, that calls her. It's like it's like seeing a great film and that kind of exhale of just like wrapped up perfectly. I don't mm-hmm. think maybe the other albums give you that. And I think if you look back at the last few years and like no encore critical darlings like Frank Ocean, you know, albums that we think of as instant classics like the likes of Blonde. I feel Magdalene is one that could rub shoulders with those greats from the last God knows how many years more yeah. so than the other ones. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it feels like one of those albums. 
It's not as good as Blonde. Dave, Dave Lutz. Very concerned. It's like, like you get your, your album of the year then you throw him to the gladiator ring and, and Blonde just like fucking crushes him on a hit. Like, now, like, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. I'm like pointing to With the a chair. I'm, I'm, I'm like pointing to the recorder and I'm like, how much memory does that thing have? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's, there we go. Um, oh, yeah, all of that to say none of these albums are as good as Blonde. <laughs> Just so we know the point the is search, this whole The search thing. continues. <laughs> oh, Merry Christmas. Congratulations to FK Twigs yes. on making Magdalene the no encore record of the year. Thank you so much, Craig. This has been a delight. I've really enjoyed this. Thank Thanks you. so much, Doggy. Thanks for your ear. Cheers. Really appreciate it. Yeah, and thank you, listener, if you've managed to get through this mega podcast <laughs> and the entire year with us. Legitimate thank you. Uh, tell your friends about the show. Get in touch. Like I say, I want feedback on what the show should be in 2020. We are taking a break, as previously announced. There will still be stuff happening. But, uh, yeah, like, legit. I mean, like, if you're listening to this voice, well, then I can only thank you for doing so. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been a long fucking year of a lot of music. And much like Jeremy Corbyn, it's time for a period of reflection. (laughs) Before we step down as leaders of No Encore. We won't take No Encore into the next election. (laughs) Having suffered the uh, biggest No Encore defeat since pre-World War War II times. And yeah, we'll go from there. Um, Yeah, any last words, guys? Uh, No, (laughs) thank you. you. Thanks for everything. Cheers. Um, Yes. Merry Christmas and a happy new Merry year Christmas. to all of you. Um, I hope 2020 and the next decade is marginally better. Than <laughs> <laughs> Onwards and upwards. Onwards We're and upwards. all going to be fine. Let's just yeah. stick together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let's have some FK Twigs to play so. <laughs> <laughs> My name is David William Hanready and this has been the Encore for 2019. Much love. Jerry's podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Competition never waits. Take your gear on the go with a custom pack built to protect it. Because any place can be an arena. Game on. The Tumi Esports Capsule. Available on Tumi.com and select Tumi stores. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.